Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of September 1st, 2022, including more evidence of Xbox Game Pass family plan emerges, something's going on with Amazon and EA, Tencent is getting in bed with those Elden Ring guys, and more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2009, Guitar Hero 5 for the Xbox 360 was released, at least in the United States. I, I guess maybe they had a staggered launch in different countries, but I don't know. The website said the United States. Anyway, damn, I remember Guitar Hero 5. Such a big step down from the previous Guitar Hero games, but still, I'd much rather have Guitar Hero 5 today than uh, no Guitar Hero at all, which is what we have, unfortunately. Guys, welcome to episode 170 of the Xbox on podcast, always really excited and just, I don't know, it's just like a sigh of relief when we're ever, whenever we're past one of the 69 episodes, you know, when we hit episode 70 and now when we hit episode 170, it's just like, woof, something about the 60s. I don't want to be in the 60s, okay? They were gross back then, dude. Everyone in the 60s, they're sweaty, they're little hippies. I guess the 70s were gross as well, but soon enough we'll be in those precious 80s that we all pretend we're from, even those of us who are only... 23 years old. Anyway, guys, welcome to Xbox On. Let's stop talking about decades because we're talking about it here and now. We're talking about the games that are coming today. We're talking about all the games you can't wait to play that are probably owned by China already and uh, probably all delayed as well, but that's okay. There are there are other things to be excited about. In fact, there's one game in particular that just came out this week. Very excited to talk to you guys about. Even more than that, I'm very excited to play it when this weekend comes and I get some free time, but no spoilers, baby. We gotta get, we get get there when we get there. So shut the fuck up and let's get through the usual corrections, updates, and stories of mild amusement. I don't know what happened if I just had like an actual stroke trying to write the notes for the news this week, but I'm realizing uh, as I sat down to record just a minute ago that I, I went really heavy on this section of the podcast this week. So we might have an imbalanced show where there's more to talk about in the stories of mild amusement than there is in the actual news. But I promise you, between both segments, uh, despite the name, there's a lot of interesting stuff to get through this week. Despite, you know, usually the week after a big event like a like a Gamescom, it's usually pretty quiet. But nope, we got we got news to talk about. So buckle up, baby. We probably got at least another two hours of this bullshit unless you have the common sense and the decency and the self-respect. Turn this damn show off. Anyway, oh, still here. Okay, I guess we're getting into it. All right, let's start out with a correction. Yes, we have a correction this week. I don't like to admit when I'm wrong, but here I am. I'm not right. Last week, in passing, we were talking about Dune, not Doom, not D-O-O-M, but D-U-N-E, and I, I referred to a previous Dune game. Actually, I don't think it's out yet. I think it's either just came out a few months ago or it's about to come out, but Dune Spice Wars, I think I referred to it as a mobile game, and, and in fact, it is a RTS that's on Steam. I think it either came out in April or it comes out like this month in September. Don't remember, but anyway, I just want to make that correction for all you Dune fans out there. No, I'm not going to start ragging on you like I rag on Star Wars people all the time. No, you're safe for my bullshit, but yes, I'm sorry for insulting your real-time strategy game uh, by calling it a mobile game, although... 
I will say, real-time strategy is one of the few genres, I think, that translates quite well to mobile. So I wouldn't... I don't think it would be bad if we had a Dune RTS game on mobile, although they'd probably find some way to break it because money. Uh, anyway, let's let's get along. Let's let's get out of the way of that. Now, here's something I do want to... Uh, I guess this counts as an update. Yeah, let's we're, we're updating a conversation we had from last week. So one of the first... Actually, I think the very first game that was shown at the Opening Night Live Gamescom event last week was a new game, a new studio called Build a Rocket Boy. The Obviously, the significance of this studio is the talent of of GTA producer Leslie Benzies, as well as, you know, you can assume there's some other notable GTA talent working at the studio, but the game they announced is incredibly vague. Everyone's like, what the fuck is this game? They're, they spoke very aspirationally and very vague about what it was. It looks kind of like a Fortnite open world game, but at the same time, they're talking about it like it's this experiential, groundbreaking new genre of game, but it's an open world, multiple narrative threads, whatever. I don't know why I didn't think of this when I was trying to make sense of what this announcement was, but Kronky brought to my attention, hey, don't get too excited. This is likely just some fucking metaverse bullshit. I'm like, oh, yeah, it could be, you know, I mean, but I guess that makes sense because in a large way, like you think about the one thing in video games that everyone is chasing right now, and it's Fortnite. Fortnite kind of is if you if you take the thinly veiled bullshit PR term that is the metaverse and you take it for what it actually is in in, in reality you know rather than thinking of it like Ready Player One or whatever the fuck um, but you actually just look at what the modern day equivalency is of this online world where everyone just seems to exist and interact and have this second life so to speak Fortnite is kind of that game and so I, I think you can just boil down the conversation back all down to Fortnite, which is what we're, it's what everyone's always talking about anyway, right? It's just everyone wants to be Fortnite. Everyone wants this game that just makes fuck you money beyond belief all the time, always has hype, always has millions and millions and millions and millions of people buying shit and playing it and talking about it. You always have new events. People are literally going to marshmallow concerts within this game. They got fu- fucking Neil Patrick Harris fighting, fighting, you know, like Duke Nukem in this game. It's just a whole mess of just insane crossovers and, um, I, I don't know why I didn't think of this, but Kronky was right. He, he, he brought this to my attention. I'm like, yeah, you, you know, this probably is basically just their vague way of saying, don't worry about what kind of game it is. Just know it's a game you're going to want to exist in. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's probably they're taking their experience from GTA Online, plus with the desire and appeal of Fortnite and everyone's, you know, want to be there and want to be that next thing like Fortnite and probably trying to capture some of that lightning in a bottle. However, the other half to this is not just, well, they're building their metaverse because a lot of controversy and consternation has been brought to surface regarding this game because of some hiring posts on the company's website where and in some announcement that they had hired multiple people who were like blockchain experts to come and work at this studio, which made everyone immediately go, "Uh uh-oh, it's an NFT game, fuck this, you know, whatever, red flag. In fact, we got a comment this week, first time commenter, I believe, unless you've changed your name, sorry if if I'm not, if I don't recall, but Burn Feeling wrote in, thank you for writing in, and says, uh, hey Jesse, don't get too excited about everywhere. Apparently, there's some NFT blockchain bullshit involved. Of course, with a weird, vague metaverse announcement like that, oh, you got the metaverse thing too, uh, it had to be a shady scam. Anyway, Great summary of opening night live. Overall, enjoy the show. The pacing was good. Super nice surprises and great updates on games we were already that have already been announced. Keep up the good work, man. Well, thank you, Burn Feeling, for writing in. And um, I don't mean to use this um, comment as like a launching off point to be like, no, you're wrong. But I do want to use this comment because uh, I don't I don't know how I feel about this this uh, this assumption or accusation that. This is just some blockchain bullshit crypto douche game. Because while, don't get me wrong, I absolutely love that 
you know, in a world where people are so divided at each other's throats and there's just so much uh, dissonance among the people in, in our world. I'm really glad that there are, you know, NFTs have proven that there are instances where the overwhelming majority of people can still put their differences aside, come together and rally together and act as, you know, neighbors and be kind to one another about one important thing. And that's that's NFTs and knowing how it's absolute scammy bullshit. And so don't get me wrong. I, I always love when someone's just quick to be like, oh, NFT, fuck you. But I, I want to give this uh, studio, at least, I just want to at least give them the floor for a second so we can at least put all the information out there and just have it there for us to think about. So following all the accusations and in, in, in the assumptions that this has some NFT bullshit surrounding it due to these job hirings for blockchain specialists, basically a lot, a lot of people assume that that's what the game's going to be. And it got to the point where uh, Build a Rocket Boy, the, the game dev, literally took to Reddit to respond to some of the criticism and the assumptions and everything being levied against the game. And uh, so the, the developer responded to a Reddit post with the following message. They said, hello, everyone. We're seeing some conversations on NFT and crypto that prompted by some of our open positions on our website. These are research positions as we do like, and we do not like dismissing new technologies only because others haven't found a solution for them yet. We are building everywhere on Unreal Engine 5, not the blockchain. We are creating a new world for players where we can come together to play, watch, create, share, and so much more. We hope that this helps to clarify some of the speculation around the topic. Replying to this, one fan asked when they would hear more information on what that game actually is, to which they responded again, I don't really want to say anything, I don't really want to say soon because that has been trademarked by others, but um, in the near future, and that was their response. So anyway... And the last thing I want to say is Leslie Benzie himself came out to speak on uh, on the uh, on the matter and, and says, quote, our intent has always been to push the boundaries of what a video can video game can be while still delivering an innovative first player first experience. The team we've built and the partners we've made since our founding are, are coalescing around a unique vision and we're bringing it to life. It's exciting to be a part of it and we can't wait to reveal more about blah, blah, blah in the coming months. Bullshit response. Anyway, I do want to give. Just again, I just want to put all the information we have out there and not just be like, oh, this is definitely a crypto NFT game. Um, I think, listen, if you're hiring people who are blockchain experts, they literally hear the specific positions they hired. They hired uh, three positions based on blockchain development, um, and their website lists the titles as a senior backend programmer, a smart contract developer, and a test engineer based on blockchain development. So listen, you're not hiring people based on blockchain development if you don't have at least some inkling or curiosity or some remote thing inside you that's like, hmm, we shouldn't rule this out. We should explore this notion of the, the blockchain and see where it takes us. But at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is without a doubt an NFT game. I, I think what it is with a lot of with a lot of companies like this, it's like most people, I'm sure 99% of people, and I think we actually get to it later in this podcast, Phil Spencer being one of them, head of Xbox, literally, or sorry, CEO of gaming, uh, literally being one of them who speaks out to this whole like, more or less saying, yes, NFTs are bullshit as we know them. This stupid fucking buy a disgusting monkey ape that looks like some fucking 13 year old that smokes cigarettes in the bathroom in your middle school drew on the fucking uh, urinal wall, you know, like that kind of aspect of NFTs, where it's just rich people and influencers and celebrities trying to like, get one over on the little guy and just trying to make their fucking money like fuck that no one no one is here for that no one believes in that it's absolute bullshit it's a scam right but i think there is you know from people 
who from a lot of higher ups and a lot of companies, there is this like notion of like, yes, the current implementation of of NFTs and in, in, in blockchain technologies has been abhorrent and definitely an anti-consumer kind of sleazy thing. But that doesn't inherently mean that the technology itself has some value. You know, you, you think about like like card collecting video games, like people buy baseball cards or Pokemon cards and and trade them and buy them and sell them. And there's a whole market for that. Um, there are iPhone games out there that are basically virtual versions of collecting baseball cards and Pokemon cards and things like that. And there are massive markets that are really obsessed with trying to build these digital collections of of, of these various games and stuff like that. And I, and the reason I bring that up is just to say, in, in a sense, that's kind of a microcosm of what NFTs are all about. It's like, here, use real world money to buy this stupid fucking digital asset that doesn't mean anything, but you can feel some arbitrary sense of ownership and entitlement. We've seen stuff like this forever, right? Like, isn't that what all these current existing metaverse games have always been anyway? Isn't that, in, in a sense, isn't that kind of what skins are in a multiplayer game and all these kinds of things? So, I understand everyone's quick reaction be like, fuck this game, fuck this developer, and fuck NFTs. But I also want to be uh, not like, not like, I don't know, just like considerate of the fact, not as someone who's like, we got to protect the corporations and the big businesses and the, and the big development companies and the big publishing dollars, but more so as someone who's just like, listen, we're not here to be arbitrary, pissed off for the sake of being pissed off fanboys. We're here to try to understand what's going on in the industry and understand how these developers and publishers and and in and, and people with authority and power within this industry think and operate because the more we understand these things and not just get upset about them arbitrarily the more we can truly understand these trends and and in stories that are happening within this industry right that's i think an effective xbox podcast would try to think about these things in a little more holistic sense and try to maybe take your emotion out of it when the when the story calls for it and this is just one of those examples where I'm like, I, I just think there are a lot of people out there who are like a lot of companies that are that see the way NFTs have been implemented and see kind of the way everything surrounding the blockchain, whatever the fuck that even means at this point, has gone and is like, mm, that that's not something we want to get involved with because it's a it's always a bad look. It never goes well. But at the same time, there are a lot of really smart people in this world who think there's a lot of potential in this technology and it would behoove you as a corporation, as a business to be like, we're going to write off this thing we only kind of understand because it's the popular stance to have right now. But in five years, this technology could be harnessed and used in a way that might be very favorable with audiences. And so it would be really short-sighted of us to just write this off. And so I guess that's why I'm not quick to be like, well, fuck this, you know, fuck build a rocket boy. I mean, fuck them because their name sucks, but don't fuck them because of this, because... I think they're just, as a young studio, trying to build something very aspirational, something that competes with the market share of something as like popular as like a Fortnite. I think they're just trying to have all their options open to them. And so they are hiring and bringing on people for this project to explore these different avenues as we're in a really early stage of understanding blockchain technologies and NFTs. And who, who fucking knows? You know, there are, there are things, nothing comes to mind in, in this instance because that would make my podcast actually good. Uh, but this is how it happens when you're trying to think of examples on the fly while you're recording. It never, never comes to mind. But there have been many examples throughout time of things that have come and been unpopular or misunderstood or misinterpreted or misutilized in their early days. And then many, many years later, those technologies or ideas or concepts have gone on to be incredibly indelible, massively successful, important parts of many different things, as vague as that sounds. But I just think it's one of those things where if you're a new studio that plans on being something massive like Build a Rocket Boy, or if you're a company like Microsoft that, that plans on 
you know, continuing to be one of the most powerful corporations in the world, it might be a little short-sighted just write off the, the entire notion of the blockchain when we don't fully understand it, even though in its current incarnation, we all know, fuck NFTs. So it's not to say I'm for or against anyone's comments here with Cronky or Burn Feeling or anything or just the, the, the general internet conversation at large. I just want to try and maybe take myself out of it because I know when it comes to these kinds of things, I don't know shit. I don't like, dude, I started an Xbox podcast because some of my favorite memories of my entire life were like playing Halo 3 or playing Sonic Unleashed on an Xbox. I did not start this podcast because I was like, you know what? I think I'm a fucking expert on the blockchain. I'm here to say a couple things. So this is one of those things where I'm trying to keep myself in my lane and in my place and be like, you know, let's just lay out the facts and try to think about why this might be happening. And that's that's what I've got so far. But again, with a uh, with as little information as we currently have about everywhere. It's just something we're going to have to continue to keep an eye out on. Okay, guys, if we want to keep this, uh, if, if we ever want to get through this episode, we're going to have to move faster than that because that's just the uh, updates and corrections. Now we got, <laughs> now we got the stories of mild amusement. We're not even at the news yet, the news yet. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we can skip the Activision update. We got no lawsuit, sexy times. I mean, we should really take that off the podcast, I guess, at this point. I, I leave this part in the notes uh, for those, I guess I never explained this. I have like a skeleton outline of what the notes will look like for every episode. And I always leave a space for, is there any update on Activision's bullshit? You know, that, that harassment stuff has, the lawsuit harassment stuff has really just disappeared. I guess people just don't care about it anymore. So we're not really getting information on that anymore. So I guess we should probably just move on. Let's talk about something I do care about. Wolong Fallen Dynasty, a game that coming from Team Ninja, a something of a Souls-like game coming from Team Ninja that was shown off during uh, the Xbox and Bethesda Game Showcase back in June. We got a new trailer for the game that showed off tons of gameplay and just showed off tons of gameplay and um, gave us a closer look at this game. And I just got to say, guys, this game looks so cool. I want to love this game. The problem is, you guys know I'm not a Dark Souls guy. I'm not a Neo guy. I cannot hang with these games that are just like, hey, you're going to really have to learn the dance of this combat, and it's going to be really challenging, and you're going to die a lot of times. It's not going to be fun all the time. But if you just remain committed for life to this game, maybe one day you'll enjoy it and even beat it. I don't know. I, I can't get down with that kind of game. I'm just such a fucking casual, like, turn-off-your-brain kind of player when it comes to the games I enjoy. But it's uh, it's really upsetting me because I think maybe it's just the obsession around Elden Ring that has made me forcibly pay closer attention to this genre, but I find myself becoming more and more drawn to this genre as time goes on, and it's frustrating me because at the same time, I know I don't like these games. I think Wolong looks really fucking cool every time i i mean this is only the second time we've seen it but I, I, when i when i see this trailer i'm like okay that's a dark souls game i can get behind you know and you know i like ninja gaiden uh, a game series i've never I, the only one i've ever beaten was the nintendo ds one but i've played the first two ninja gaiden games a lot and the uh, 3d ones not the um, nes ones and uh it's just i don't know it's like they're games like i admire i appreciate but i suck at so it's a frustrating situation to be like to be in and i know a lot of people are overcoming that i mean you look at the sales of elden ring in general and it's just clearly a lot of people are facing this obstacle or overcoming it in some way because people are fucking playing these games now for sure in a very widely consumed way not in a a very passionate niche genre kind of way. So there's that. And then, I mean, also last week we saw announced Lies of P, that fucking Pinocchio Dark Souls, no, Pinocchio, um, what's the Souls game it reminded me of so much? Bloodborne looking Pinocchio game that I, I think that game in particular 
by far looks like the most compelling Souls-like game we've ever seen. I, without a doubt, will give that game a try. I mean, it's coming to Game Pass, so why the hell not? But, like, Wolong looks really good. Lies of P, I will 100% be playing that game when it comes out. Will I give up within the first 25 minutes? Probably, but it looks too fucking good for me to just be like, oh, well, there's another one of those Souls-born games, and then just, like, pretend I don't care and move on with my life, but secretly be that, you know, the crying meme with the happy face over it. But uh, I just... I don't know what to do. Uh, I mean, Wolong is also coming to Game Pass. So now we're reaching this point where it's like, you got these games within the genre you think you hate, but they, these games are starting to look really compelling. Plus, they're going to be available in Game Pass, so you don't have to spend money to find out you hate it. And it's just one of these things of like, I don't know, man. Between all these games that are starting to look good within the genre, plus Xbox's fuck you, here's every game ever for free initiative with Game Pass, you know, not free, but including your subscription. I feel like... It's just a matter of time before I am forced into one of these games. And that makes me scared. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. I just want to bring that up. New trailer. The game continues to look great. Supposed to come out early next year. Hell if I know. You know, I mean, every game is supposed to come out early next year. So fuck us all if that's if that's the reality. But anyway. Next up, uh, I really quickly just want to just point out this. Not point out this thing, but bring to conversation this thing that was pointed out on Twitter. Someone on Twitter under the name Sean W. Dubs. I don't know if that's someone uh, that is really notable that I'm unfamiliar with. But anyway, uh, reached out and said in regards to Halo, uh, snarky tweet because everything on Twitter is just trying to be the coolest, snarkiest guy who doesn't give a fuck. Uh, Almost doesn't give a truck. I guess I'm trying to get a, a PG rating on this episode. I don't know. Anyway, and he's just like, Halo community right now waiting to hear if Halo Infinite co-op is delayed, blah, 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 and the, the little gif and everything. For those who don't remember, I certainly didn't. I had to have this story remind me, but originally 343 said that they were targeting a late August release for the co-op campaign. We got our test flight, but we, it never officially came out. And now here we are. It's September 1st. Still no co-op campaign. So Brian Gerard sketch as you may know the community guy at, at 343 actually responded to the tweet and was like hey it's a target you know targets are stakes in the ground at the time but are of course subject to change we'll have a roadmap update later for what to expect but with that said by the time you're listening to this podcast we should already have this roadmap update so god for the love of christ please have like a decent road i'm not talking about a roadmap update just for um co-op campaign like say something about forge because at this point, I'm going nuts seeing all these Forge leaks that look I- immaculate and then being like, oh, man, if I want to play Halo Infinite right now, I can play the same three fucking multiplayer maps, but I can't play this incredible looking Forge mode. But I'll, I'll leave it at that because I'm really tired of being negative on Halo Infinite. I, I want to be clear. I, I fucking love Halo. It's one of my all-time favorite franchises. I like Halo Infinite a lot. I'm very disappointed with how a lot of things have gone with Halo Infinite, but I have no doubt, just give it enough time. Just, like, delete Halo Infinite from your hard drive, if you're anything like me and you're just a little salty about it. Delete the game from your hard drive, forget it exists for a year or so, and I promise you, like, we're gonna, there's gonna be a day in the near future where we will come back to this game, and it's like, ah, it's there now. You know, the, ah, they, they did the things that we needed to see happen. They fixed the shitty progression, the shitty customization. They added more maps. They added more modes. They fixed obvious things like custom games just not working. You know, once there will be a day when we get to that point. And at that point, it will no longer matter, at least to us as players, how Halo Infinite launched. It will just matter that it is now a fully complete package that is so good to play because Halo Infinite at its core, I truly believe, is a great game. It's just a frustrating one to love, you know? 
It's like uh, it's like when you want to date that bad boy. He, he rides a motorcycle. And he's got tattoos. And he doesn't always brush his teeth. But you know, you know, looks aren't everything. There's going to be some hangups in that relationship. You got to be careful. All right. Anyway, let's move on with life. All right. I don't know why these aren't in the main news story. I think it's just because despite the fact that these are massive news stories, I am just so tired of talking about the subject matter that I have very little to add to it. But nonetheless... Massive news, back-to-back. Let's get into these two. Uh, Stories of acquisitions and investments and blah, 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 blah. VGC reports Elden Ring Studio from Software have announced that they are selling shares to Sony and, drumroll, Tencent, which will result in them owning a combined 30% of the company. Wow. An official notice publisher from Software's parent company, uh, Katokawa Corporation, it was announced that new shares would be issued to Six Joy Hong Kong, a subsidiary of Tencent because they're too fucking chicken shit to use their own shitty name, and Sony Interactive Entertainment, you know, the company that owns PlayStation. According to the documents, or, you know, PlayStation, basically. According to the documents, once the shares have been issued, Six Joy will own 16.25% of From Software, and Sony will own 14.09%, with Katakawa continuing to own the remaining 69, nice, 0.66% of the company. Okay. In the notice, Katakawa explains that the that it, quote, recognizes the enhancements of capabilities for the creation, development, and deployment of game IP as one of the group's highest priorities. End quote. As such, it decided to allow From Software to arrange a third-party allotment to Six Joy and to Sony in order to gain extra funding that may help it publish its own games globally. Through the implementation of the fund procurement, From Software will aim to uh, proactively invest in development of more powerful gaming IP for itself to strengthen From Software's development capabilities, and will seek to establish a framework that allows the expansion of the scope of its own publishing in the significantly growing global market, the notice states. From Software usually publishes its own games in Japan, but in other regions, they handle publishing by others. Sekiro was published by Activision, notably, for example, and Elden Ring and Dark Souls were all handled by Bandai Namco. Um, that's interesting. I actually didn't know they self-published in Japan, but now I do. Anyway, so there's a tale of two stories here. There's the more frightening, more upsetting one, which I am so tired of talking about and I have nothing new to add, which is fuck Tencent. We know what they're they're you know they're all about. We know what their motive is. They want to have a major. They want to have a big seat on every board. They want to have a huge shit, huge say with every big publisher, with every big developer, and they want to have their hands, their sticky fingers, in every little aspect of the games industry, because they suck, and because life sucks, and because God is not real. Sorry to break it to you. However, and that's just a joke, and don't get offended if you're religious. I'm just. I'm it's it's just me sarcastically saying how can this happen anyway but yeah I mean I, I like what what else do we say we know this isn't like huh what do you think Tencent's trying to do here this is like oh there's there's their next victim the thing that sucks is it, it it had to be from software you know and you would think you know Elden Ring is in position to be the best selling game of the motherfucking year the fact that Modern Warfare 2 is about to come out in November, and it's not, it's almost definitely not going to be the best-selling game of 2022, is astonishing. Now, before you say, well, Jesse, look at the release dates, I understand, you know, when all is said and done, when 2022 is over, uh, Elden Ring will have been on the market for, like, 10 and a half months of the year, whereas Modern Warfare 2 will have only been on the market for, like, a month and a half of the year. So I I get that, like, two months, whatever. So I, I understand it's a little bit unfair to compare, but... 
Call of Duty is almost always the best-selling game of the year, literally almost always, and for it to lose to something like a Souls-type game is astonishing, and especially for a game like Modern Warfare 2, because Modern Warfare 2019 is the best-selling Call of Duty of all time. The Modern Warfare franchise, you know, right next to Black Ops, is the highest regarded, most coveted sub-franchise of the Call of Duty brand, which is like the biggest gaming entity or game is biggest gaming brand in, in all of gaming, really. So I just, it's, it's astonishing. It's really, really impressive. I only bring that all up just to say, From Software must be fucking swimming in it. They were already a well-to-do developer with massive successes of, increasing successes with the various Dark Souls games, with with uh, Bloodborne and with the uh, Sekiro that they did with Activision, all these games, they've been doing so incredibly well. It's, it's like with each game they release, they go from being like a critically acclaimed, super hardcore-centric game developer to just fuck you if you're a person who likes video games, you play this game kind of mainstream massive developer. So to think that they're like, hey, we're looking for additional funding so we can continue to expand our projects and reach more markets with our games. It's like, to me, it kind of falls on deaf ears because it's like, listen, I know you don't keep 100% of your profits and everything. You have massive publishing deals that you work with in most parts of the world. Again, Bandai Namco, Activision, and Sony have been massive recipients of, of the success of your games. So I understand you're not getting all the money from all the games you sell ever. I get all that, but this is a company that develops really ju judiciously with their funds. Like famously from software, if you pay attention to their, their release layout of their games, they always have games out within like two years, which is incredible for the kinds of games they release. There's a lot of belly aching with games like Elden Ring in particular, like they, they use assets. This kind of looks like dark blood souls or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, because they, they are smartly reusing the stuff they can to try and like expedite and streamline this process of getting new games out. They're clearly they're experts at knowing what can be reused and what can't and how they can create really wholly unique individualistic products with, while still, you know, working effectively with what they already have. And so, I don't know, it's just like all these factors culminate. And it's just like, hmm, I just feel like maybe From Software is a big enough company, especially after Elden Ring, to where maybe they could self-publish globally if they wanted to. Like, I don't know if they're out here trying to build themselves a Fortnite as well or something, but I find it kind of hard to believe that at this point, From Software are not well off enough that they can't just kind of, you know, come, like, come up with, you know, poach some good producers and, and publishing type people and I don't know, form some kind of publishing division within the company and try to take all that in-house. I know that's not just so easily done, but it's just weird to be like, hey, we we launched the most successful fucking game of 2022. We captured lightning in a bottle with Elden Ring. But now we need the financial backing of uh, Communist China to help us fund our games for future future markets and future products. It's like, wait, what the fuck? So I don't know. It boils down to the same conversation we're always having where it's like, I don't believe you needed Tencent. I don't believe you needed this kind of influence impeding on your product, but you went for it anyway. And it says a lot about you in terms of your morale and your integrity. And it's just disappointing from software. Pretend I'm your father for a second. I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. And that's actually not true. I am mad at you. Fuck you. You shouldn't have done that. The other side of the story, and I think the more interesting side, because who's not fucking tired of talking about Tencent? They will pretty soon own whatever housing development you live in. Mark my goddamn words. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Sony, because this is the more interesting side. Um, I know this isn't a PlayStation podcast, but this is a publisher, or this is a developer that 
is very important to Xbox, especially more so in recent years. And Sony, obviously, as we have been seeing more and more of recently, does not share the same vision for the future as Xbox, where they're like, mm, let's just put our games everywhere. They're like, PlayStation, fuck you, Xbox, maybe PC, hi, Nintendo, we're not going to acknowledge your existence. And that's kind of the PlayStation mantra. And it's clear to see that PlayStation views from software as the one that got away. Remember that they were originally supposed to publish Dark Souls on PS3, like all the way back in the day. They got cold feet on it. They thought, oh, Western markets are not going to like this game. Ended up not publishing it. Still came to PS3 as a platform exclusive. And the game, you know, it was a it was a cult hit. It did well enough for sure. But then Dark Souls blew up. And then so it was like, fuck. And that was the whole reason why Bloodborne happened for PlayStation 4, because it was literally Sony saying, hey, from software, we realized we fucked up. Uh, We didn't have confidence in you when we should have. Uh, We probably should have published Dark Souls. We probably should have tried to buy you out. Uh, We didn't. Um, Can we maybe strike up a deal and make a a new game together? And that's how Bloodborne came to be. And, of course, Bloodborne ended up being one of the most successful and beloved games on PlayStation 4. And so when you look at what's going on with Sony it's clear that they, they want they want they want a um a from software and then so the other thing is and I don't I don't remember how how that works that PlayStation technically has publishing rights to Dark Souls even though Bandai Namco ended up publishing it I don't know but remember when the PS5 came out a few years ago one of the launch games was a remake done by developer Bluepoint which is now Sony owned uh, they were the ones that ported Titanfall 3 onto Xbox 360. Shout out to them. But they, uh, Sony now owns Bluepoint, and they had Bluepoint do that remaster of Dark Souls as a PlayStation 5 launch game. So this is why I'm confused, is because of all these factors. It is clear that Sony wants from software or wishes they hadn't let them get away back when they probably had a chance a million years ago. And it is clear that they want to continue to pursue this stuff. This, this relationship they have now that they own Bluepoint and this uh, recently released and well-received Dark Souls remake for PlayStation 5, you, you would think that Sony's next move is like, okay, well, it looks like Bluepoint might be able to uh, make uh, our own kind of, you know, Dark Souls type series. Or better yet, you know, PlayStation owns the publishing rights and, and the IP rights to Bloodborne, not from software. So it is possible PlayStation can just be like, yo, uh, Bluepoint, do you guys want to make a second Bloodborne game. Um, So the fact that they're not just pursuing that, but they're also like, no, we're going to put a massive investment into From Software, I guess has me a little puzzled because obviously this company is going places and they are a wise investment. I don't think from a business standpoint, it's a bad investment, but Sony doesn't really want uh, developers and teams without something that's going to benefit the PlayStation brand. You know, they're not Xbox. They're not just trying to get shit on Game Pass and help mobile and PC as well as Xbox. They're trying to sell PlayStation hardware to people and sell PlayStation games to people. So with this investment, you got to wonder, like, what's the ulterior motive? Like, I don't think they own enough or have enough of a say, and I don't think Tencent would really want for there to be a future where From Software is making a lot of PlayStation exclusives. In fact, I think From Software probably wants to do more multi-platform things. I mean, look at Elden Ring. It was available on Xbox, PC, and PlayStation. It sold like fucking crack. Why would they want to limit themselves to just PlayStation? So th- this can't be a story of them trying to get PlayStation exclusivity. So I just, I, I can't see what PlayStation's angle is here. Maybe it is a, a learning thing. They want to have a seat on the board so they can try to learn more about how From Software operates for the benefit of their teams and their efforts to make more Souls-type games. But... I just don't know. I find this one incredibly perplexing, to be honest. But um, 
From Software became a slightly worse company today. All thanks to just, yeah, I don't know. Fuck it. Whatever. We're over it, right? Uh, unfortunately, we're not done quite yet because the next story is another. Well, this one's not an investment. This one's a full-blown acquisition. VGC reports NetEase, the second-in-command big Chinese uh, gaming publisher or conglomerate that is just buying up the entire industry across the, across the globe, um, has agreed to acquire Quantic Dream for an undisclosed sum of money. We've been talking about Quantic Dream a lot lately because they well they were all over Gamescom last week and. Here they are again with some bad news. In a press release issued by the Chinese company, it was stated that the Paris-based studio, uh, known for games like Heavy Rain, Detroit Become Human, Beyond Two Souls, uh, will continue to operate independently after the deal is over. The acquisition will mark another step in NetEase's plan to grow. Most notably, it would make Quantic Dream the first NetEase studio based in Europe. The news comes in the wake of allegations of a toxic work culture um, that uh, literally on and off for years this has been stuff levied against quantic dream where i won't even get into it it's just such a long-running story so we'll kind of gloss over that um, not that we should but <laughs> and then you know we know they're working on the upcoming star wars eclipse game which has been delayed for many many years because it's one of those games where they announced it to get people to want to come and work at the team not because they're ready to show it off to the world so we know they're working on that we also know quantic dream has been getting into publishing they're not just a de- developer now they are a publisher they're in a three publishing game deal right now they just announced the third game of that publishing deal at last week at the opening night live event where they announced what is the game called again something the waves whatever it's not coming to me now it was literally just announced last week oh under the waves yeah so they're working on that three game deal they did uh sea of solitude under the waves and that third one um but anyway uh, following the announcement of the acquisition uh these are the quotes we have to go off of to accompany the news Quote, we are thrilled to embark on an exciting new stage of our growth with Quantic Dream, bound by our shared vision, mutual trust, and respect, said NetEase CEO and director William Ding. Uh, in a statement, he continues, NetEase will continue to, or sorry, NetEase will continue to fulfill our promise to support Quantic Dream to realize its full potential. By combining the wild, wild creativity and exceptional narrative focus of Quantic Dream with NetEase's powerful facilities, resources, and execution capabilities, we believe that there are infinite possibilities that could redefine the interactive entertainment experience and we provide players worldwide. <sighs> okay, Quantic Dream founder CEO David Cage added, quote, Today marks an important milestone for our studio in... After a quarter century of complete independence. I don't know why I'm sounding just a touch British when I'm trying to mimic a French guy. Oh, wee wee wee. NetEase Games values our creative freedom and we drive our passion to uh, unique, diverse croissants. Uh, we will now be able to accelerate the vision we share as a group, creating landmark titles that touch people on an emotional level. Also, I know Ellen Page. Also, I'm friends with Elliot Page. Uh, sorry, that's a Jimquisition joke. Uh, we have a highly differentiated games in the making, and I truly believe that the best is yet to come from Quantic Dream. As you can see, by the way, I'm reading this. I have, I, I can't take it seriously because I just can't fucking be bothered with this stuff. NetEase uh, recently uh, got the old Yakuza director to come over and start a new team with NetEase as well. Um, actually, funny story. He last week spoke up out on that a little bit. And he's like, main, main reason I left uh, Ryu Guy, Godoku Studios, and Sega was because Sega was like kind of pushing me to eventually become CEO. And I still just want to make video games. I don't want to move up the ladder like that. And uh, so he left to go to NetEase because he's like, now I can just have a team and be left alone to make video games. So I found that quite interesting. Um, I get it. You see it sometimes. People just want to stay creative. They don't want to move up and be an exec. They don't want to be a suit. You know, they want to be a creative guy. So I, I get that. I respect it in that 
instance, but fuck all y'all for the fucking, oh yeah, we want to get bought out by the Chinese corporations, whatever. It is what it is. You have your own autonomy. I'm not getting into why this is problematic. You, you like that word? Problematic isn't the most overused term on Twitter. Um, but I'm not. I'm not getting into all of that because we talk about it ad nauseum on the show. And at, for once, I just want us to be able to be like, "Hey guys, uh, I played a video game and it was fun to play and I had a good time." Instead of constantly being like, "You won't believe who bought who this time." So whatever. Fucking Ford Motor Company invested a billion dollars in Neopets. Can you believe it, guys? Anyway. Um, so that happened. Now Quantic Dream is owned by NetEase for an undisclosed amount of money. And Quantic Dream will continue to make the games they make. And um, that Star Wars game will come out when your grandchildren are beyond dead. So yay, video games. Here's a little quick note on Hogwarts Legacy. Hopefully this is the last negative thing we have to talk about. Hogwarts Legacy is getting uh, special PlayStation treatment, kind of the way Destiny used to get it, kind of the way Call of Duty gets it right now. Because Call of Duty, because uh, PlayStation, you know, despite getting all pissy about Xbox buying Activision, uh, don't like to admit that they love taking content away from others. But uh, Hogwarts Legacy, if you pre-order it on a PlayStation console, the standard digital deluxe collector's edition, whatever, it will come with the Felix Felicis potion recipe, whatever. All PlayStation editions will come with exclusive quests. No pre-orders required to obtain it. You just got to buy it on PlayStation because PlayStation is such a cool platform to play where the publisher gives money to other people to say, hey, keep content away from Xbox. We don't want those guys. I, I would really love to know what Phil Spencer's take is on the Xbox 360 era when Microsoft used to do things like this, like when they had that deal with Call of Duty originally, where I think, if I remember correctly, you know, back in the Modern Warfare 2 Black Ops OG 29, 2010 days, the, the marketing deal was DLC packs. Remember DLC, guys? This is before microtransactions and in, in, in game seasons and updates. Um, Call of Duty used to release its content in $15 DLC packs. You would buy, there would be three to four per Call of Duty game. It would usually come with like three multiplayer maps and a zombies map for about 15 bucks. It was a nice little add-on. Um, and there'd be a couple of those per Call of Duty game. Anyway, back when that was the model, back in the old innocent days when Jack in the Box uh, had probably some food item that they no longer have on their menu. I'm sure of it. That's how fast food restaurants operate. Um, back in those days, of course, Xbox players would get access to that DLC. It was two or three months. I forget. It was two or three months before PlayStation 3 owners would. And, you know, as an Xbox player, it never became a problem for me because I didn't play PlayStation 3 really all that much. I was mostly on 360. But obviously, it does suck. That did suck. I remember PlayStation 3 players were very salty back in those days over that. And reasonably so. That was a shitty thing. It sucks. Obviously, we've gone way past that in today's world where it's like PlayStation's version of kind of doing... Xbox doesn't do that anymore. But PlayStation's version of doing that these days is like, no, no, no. We have exclusive content for our version of the game. And it's never coming to Xbox. Fuck you. And if I do that, that is a that is next generation sleaze. You know, it's like that's fucking like like limited time DLC on Xbox 360. That's sleazy. Uh, it permanently exclusive side content on PlayStation 4 and 5. That is like that is like fucking PS6 next generation sleaze bag. 
move. But here we are. Hogwarts Legacy is getting in on the action. I guess, you know, usually this isn't something we can really blame the developer for. This is generally something that is struck up between a publisher and Sony. So this is a, this is a decision made by important people at WB Games uh, between them and Sony or PlayStation rather. And uh, yeah, nothing to say other than it sucks. But I would just love to see what Phil Spencer's take was on, you know, back in the day when he wasn't head of Xbox when he wasn't in charge of the show and uh, Xbox was doing that with Call of Duty. I wonder because because he's such an outspoken like, yeah, I know I work for the green team, but like I just want gaming to thrive for all platforms and, and things like that. So I feel like he'd have a really thoughtful and candid response about like, yeah, that's that's not a great thing. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, next up, I guess this is not insanely relevant, but I think no, it's it's relevant. If you if you listen, if you ever loved Mixer, Rest in peace, Mixer. We got to talk about it. Facebook has announced that it is ending its support for the Facebook gaming app this October. In a statement published this past week, the company reiterated that much of the functionality will be just transferred to the main Facebook app anyway. So I guess Facebook streaming and all that shit is still going to be largely the same, but the dedicated Facebook gaming app uh, will be removed on October 28th, right around the time of Modern Warfare 2, baby. They just don't even want that 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 association. They don't want to deal with it. It's going to give even more people an excuse to play on Twitch. But anyway, um, you know, they do the typical, thank you, we love building a thriving community over the years, the fans are first, blah, 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 blah. I think basically what's happening is they're trying to take this spinoff brand and just lump it in with the main brand. I, I love this shit. You see big companies, tech companies like Google and Facebook and even Microsoft do this shit so often where it's like, you guys have no vision or direction on some of these things. You're just, you're just doing shit. Like, you don't care. Like, Facebook saw Twitch and Mixer, and they're like, mm, we want to get in on that market. So they did Facebook gaming. It was always a bad idea because associating the Facebook name with a gaming streaming thing was a terrible idea from the start. Um, really don't know how YouTube ever really got away with it, but I guess it makes more sense than Facebook. But, yeah, I guess they're, they're getting away from that now. They're still going to keep the functionality within Facebook proper. But, you know, it's a dying thing. It's not happening. The reason why this is pertinent to Xbox, not pertinent, but relevant to Xbox, I guess, in any way, is because when Xbox's old Twitch competitor streaming service, Beam, later renamed Mixer, and better known as Mixer, went, went away two years ago around this time in 2020, Xbox or Microsoft sold the technology and all the everything that was left of Mixer. They, they sold all that to Facebook. They used Facebook as Microsoft does this a lot whenever they dismantle a good product, you know, whenever they have one of those like really awesome products or services and then they decide to kill it because they hate happiness. They always do this where they sell off like the technology and the back end and the information to a different company. So like when they had Groove Music, formerly Xbox Music, formerly Zune Music Pass back in the day, whenever they closed that in 2016, they sold off all the information and technology and everything to Spotify and they kind of sunsetted it. They're like, hey guys, if you're subscribed to Groove Music, we're going to move you on over to Spotify now. Say hi to Spotify, you know, and that became like the official partner of Microsoft's uh, music streaming. And then they did the same thing when they closed Mixer down. They're like, oh, okay, we're not going to have a Twitch competitor streaming app anymore, but let's say hello to Facebook gaming. Woo, round of applause for Facebook gaming. And everyone's like, yeah, no fucking thanks. <laughs> and, you know, we all jumped over to Twitch because why the fuck would you do Facebook gaming? Um, but anyway, so I guess that's why I wanted to mostly mention is just because whatever little last tiny vestige of Mixer was alive in Facebook gaming, and it really was nothing, um, it's dead now. <laughs> so that's cool. Um, Twitch continues to, I guess, thanks thanks to YouTube, not entirely monopolize, but mostly have the market by the balls with the video game streaming 
uh, sphere of things. And uh, moving on from that, we've got, God, we have way too many stories of model amusement. We still have three more. Guys, I should have put some of this in the main news. But uh, next, IO Interactive's got an announcement. Uh, their James Bond game that they announced like two years ago, almost two years ago, uh, may not be out until at least 2025, according to according to an annual report that the Danish inter- uh, company IO Interactive uh, released at the end of fiscal year uh, March 31st, 2022, so this has been out for a while. Uh, but Twitter user Dark Detective pointed to the report suggesting that IO expects revenue of 450 to 500 million Krone, uh, which is 67 million dollars US in the current fiscal uh, sorry, in the current financial year ending in March 2023. It predicts this number to drop the following two financial years due to lack of new releases. So by that logic alone, you know, with Hitman having come out and everything, um, and now we know their next project is that James Bond game. If they're expecting profits to drop because no new game releases over 2024 and 2025, you know, 2023 to 2024 and 2024 to 2025, if they're expecting revenue to drop due to no game releases, probably means they're not going to release their James Bond game in that time frame. So that means this game might not be coming out until fiscal year 2025, potentially the earliest. So not really exciting, but again, this falls into that category we've seen again and again where they didn't announce that they're working on a james bond game because they wanted gamers to get hype they uh they announced it because they need people to come apply and work for io interactive and to staff up because they want to work on this project it's what everyone's having to do as game development talent becomes more and more expensive as the scene becomes more and more competitive as big corporations buy out other big corporations and consolidate the entire market everyone's got to kind of market their product quantic dreams gotta be like hey we're making a star wars game who wants to work with us iron interactive has to be like hey we're making a james bond game who wants to work with us uh, i think machine games had to do it a little bit when they said hey we're making an indiana jones game uh who wants to come work with us although i think another part of that might have been disney wanted to make an announcement about it they wanted to you know be like hey we got something that works for indiana jones but uh, i don't know it could be one or the other or both i don't know but we see this trend happening a lot nowadays in gaming so it's not all that surprising but yeah don't expect your james bond game anytime soon uh that's okay it looks like there are so many games planned to come out in the beginning of 2023 that we, we might have enough games to last us another decade of new releases alone yeah the last two stories kind of related in that they're both about tokyo game show which is coming up soon yep that's right E3 slash uh, Summer Game Fest slash Xbox Bethesda Showcase, whatever. All that's behind us. And then we had Gamescom. Okay, well, Gamescom is over. We got all that behind us. It's not over yet. Tokyo Game Show always happens around mid-September. This year, I think it's like September 15th, 16th, something like that. Anyway, biggest gaming convention that happens in Japan. Pretty notable event. Usually pretty Japanese-centric. Kind of like how Gamescom is usually pretty European-centric. Tokyo Game Show is surprisingly very Japanese-centric. Shocker. Well, Xbox have confirmed that they're going to be returning to Tokyo Game Show this year with another stream presentation, just like they did last year. But don't get your hopes up, because as you remember, this is uh, last year they didn't have all that much to talk about, and it is very specific to the Japanese audience. The show, however, will take place on September 15th around 5 a.m. Eastern Time, because why? No, I get it, because we got to accommodate Japan time, not that awesome East Coast U.S. time, which is the only time zone I'm ever mindful of. But according to Xbox, they will be showing a curated, uh, they show a curated for the players in Japan and Asia. Maybe a curated what? A curated list of games? 
Quote, we invite our fans to tune into the TGS 2022 Xbox stream where you can expect to see updates on existing titles from Xbox Game Studios and titles launching from developer partners that we hope will delight players here in, in, in Japan, across Asia, and around the world. The company said Xbox will be streaming the presentation on YouTube channel in Japan, Korea, Hong Kong, Taiwan. Hey, shout out to Taiwan. They exist. Fuck you, China. Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand. Well, the official Tokyo Game Show channel will be broadcasting it. Although the presentation is likely to mainly focus on the announcement suited for the Asian markets, Xbox's previous two TGS presentations still featured announcements that also applied to the West. Like, for example, last week, last week, last year, they announced during TGS that, hey, uh, Scarlet Nexus is coming to Game Pass and things like that. Like, they focus on, like, Microsoft Flight Simulator a lot. It was kind of a bad show, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, I don't expect to see much from this, but it's always important to note, hey, it's happening. Who knows, we might get one or two little tidbits that are uh, somewhat tantalizing. I think I'm giving up on my on my hopes from a few years back that Xbox is buying Sonic the Hedgehog from Sega. Oh, my God. But, um, no. Uh, we'll have to stay tuned to see what kind of fun stuff happens. But, you know, with the stories we've been getting all throughout the year that, hey... This month, Xbox outsold PlayStation in Japan. This month, Xbox is actually doing really well in Japan. And, like, hey, overall, Xbox sales for the series consoles are really strong in Japan compared to previous Xbox generations. So it seems like they are gaining some traction in that market, especially with Game Pass, especially with the Series S. It, it really seems promising. And so hopefully we're going to see them continue to try and more and more legitimize their foothold in Japan and make these uh, these showcases maybe a little more enticing. But... I doubt, while I'm doubtful that this is the year where we're going to get blown away by Japan's or Xbox's uh, output in Japan, um, I, you know, I think it's always, it's always worth a, worth a look to see what they have to say. Um, Hopefully it'll get more and more exciting each time. So there's that. The other half of TGS we have to talk about is Konami, who have been just, God, conspicuously absent from gaming for a long time for the most part, with rare exception. But VGC relays that Konami will announce a new game related to a classic series during next month's TGS, or this month's because it's September 1st when the show goes live. The publisher published its full TGS lineup on Wednesday of this week, with most of the games listed being already known titles. However, it is scheduled for a stage event that lists a 45-minute show taking place on September 16th, which is titled Konami's New Release Announced. Voice actor Yuji Kaji will be invited as a guest to represent fans of the series, which is loved all around the world. The announcements uh, notes uh, Kaji has lent voices to a number of games, including Final Fantasy games. However, he is seemingly only representing the fans in the new game in question that this doesn't necessarily mean that the new title will be related to anything he's previously starred in. One publishing source told VGC that the reveal is likely to be related to a smaller project rather than Konami's larger plan at Rivals Castle, sorry, Revivals for Castlevania, Silent Hill, Metal Gear Solid, the first of which is understood to be the furthest along in development. We know the rumors that Bloober Team is supposedly doing a Silent Hill 2 remake, uh, which we talked about uh, about last year. So the thing is, Konami has been pretty absent from gaming for a while. They did like the like the Castlevania collection here and things like that, uh, but they really haven't been putting out games for a while. After Metal Gear Solid 5 in 2015, they kind of fucked off. They had that huge splinter with Hideo Kojima, and um, then they hired that team to make that shitty Metal Gear Survive game that I can't really say is shitty because I never played it, but people really hated it. And, um, you know, they just kind of fucked off. Now, Konami, as you know, people like to famously mention whenever Konami comes up in gaming, uh, well, if that's a dumb thing to say, of course they come up in gaming, is that outside of or outside of Japan, they're really only known as a gaming company. But in Japan, they're known for a lot of, th- a lot of things. Apparently, they own like a bottled water brand and 
They have health and fitness clubs, and of course, the pachinko machines that are commonly found in like um, casinos and things like that. So they're known for a lot of things outside of just pure video games, and I guess that's kind of been their focus and emphasis the past half decade or so. Uh, but it, it's been long overdue, man. I, I think Konami needs to, you know, the rumors this year have been consistently like, oh, is Konami getting ready to sell the PlayStation? Is PlayStation buying Konami? Or better yet, the other rumors, which has been PlayStation is positioning itself to buy important IP from Konami. Listen, Konami needs to either get out of gaming or fucking, or, or, or get, get to work. You know, it's been too long and it's kind of annoying this like little hanky paint game they do. I, I don't think they're going to PlayStation. I at least hope they're not because I just don't want to see more consolidation in this market, of course. But honestly, if PlayStation doesn't buy them, I'm sure net user Tencent will. So who, who gives a shit, I guess. But anyway, um, I mean, they own too many important IP. You think about DDR, you think about Castlevania, Metal Gear Solid, Silent Hill, Contra. There's just so many good IP under the Konami banner that it just doesn't fucking make sense for them to sit on this IP, you know? That's why I say, like, sell it to someone or fucking do something with it because you can't tell me there isn't a massive market for a really robust AAA next-gen, you know, revitalization, reimagining, reimagining, (laughs) reimagining of Castlevania or Silent Hill in particular. Those two in particular, it's like, dude, if you just do with Silent Hill what what Capcom's done with Resident Evil, or if you just make like a fucking Bloodborne version of Castlevania or something like that, it's like, bro, that that's what the people fucking want. Like, you want to you want to have the next big game, Konami? Do you want to be like all the the From Softwares and and shit of the world? Like, do that with your fucking IP, man. It's a you're, it's a it's an obvious move. And so, hopefully, this is them being like, hey, we're getting really serious into gaming again. Like, we got a big Castlevania project. But at the same time, they they've been so like one toe in the water about gaming the past half decade again. That's like I, I don't know. Maybe it's just like, hey, we're taking all the NES Metal Gear games from way back in the day, and we're just putting them in a collection and releasing them on Switch, PlayStation, and Xbox. Fuck you. Like, maybe that's what they're talking about. But they're talking about a 45-minute presentation. So, I don't know. Hopefully, they got some serious shit to talk about. I don't I don't know. But, man, oh, man, Konami, please, guys. Like, get, get to work on something important here. Because, like, I don't know. You're a big part of gaming history. It's kind of shitty to just not have Konami around, you know? They're too important. They're way too important. Especially when you think of, like, notable Japanese publishers. They're just too big. Isn't it kind of weird to think how Bandai Namco is still alive and well, but Konami is just conspicuously absent? Like, that's just... It feels wrong. Like, let's listen, I'm not even particularly a huge fan of any Konami IP. I recognize their greatness and their importance and their historical significance. But, you know, I like Metal Gear, um, but I'm not particularly a huge Castlevania or Silent Hill fan. I actually like Contra. I'd say Contra's probably my favorite IP of theirs, but... It just kind of sucks that they're just sitting with their thumbs up their ass with all these IP. It's like, bro, like, Contra would make a great Gears of War fucking game. Like, uh, Castlevania would make a great Souls game. Silent Hill would make a great first-person modern uh, Resident Evil game. Or you can do tried and true, man. Make a new pixel art 2D Castlevania game. Make a new traditional, uh, like, Silent Hill-type horror game. Make a... I mean, the rumors of Bloober team, they seem perfect for that. You know, make make just another Metal Gear Solid game. I don't know what you do with that. That's the harder one to touch. I think that one, the rumors with PlayStation potentially doing a remake, a ground-up remake of MGS1. I feel like that one's probably the most legit, but um, I don't know, man. I, I, hope, I, I hope against all odds that this is the return of Konami because 
even if it's not necessarily necessarily something I'm going to be clamoring for, I think there is a notable hole in the industry when Konami's just gone. You know, I don't know. They're, they're just they're historically just too notable to just be gone like this. So. I don't know. All right, guys, that's it for all the stories of mild amusement. Man, I don't think that segment's ever run as long as it just did, but we're at an hour. <laughs> so let's uh, let's move on. Let's let's get into the actual news. But, of course, we're going to take a breather for a second. We're going to talk about the games I've been playing this week. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing this week, i got to tell you about what I've been eating. You know how it goes, guys. We're all hungry, man. we got to eat up. You know, or we're not all men. There's some hungry girls in this audience, too, man. It's okay. You can be any way you want to be and be hungry. It's okay. Guys, I want to tell you about what I've been eating because... <sighs> I don't like to use TikTok. I try not to. I have to have one because my girlfriend likes to send me all the cat videos through TikTok. So I basically just keep TikTok for that. Uh, just so when my girlfriend wants to share a video with me, I can see it. Just a way to stay connected with her while I'm at work and stuff. Anyway, I don't need to justify why I have TikTok or that I do or don't like it. The point is TikTok exists. Fuck me. So the only thing I use, the only times I've ever used TikTok, it quickly caught on to the fact that like, oh, this guy's a fat ass because... The one time I tried to use it, I was like, mm, let me follow Wolfgang Puck. Let me follow mm, Gordon Ramsay. Let me follow mm, food porn, whatever. And so TikTok is constantly just like, what's up, guys? Today I'm going to show you how to make a fatty patty. Ooh, you're going to want to put some bacon, chopped chives, bacon, cheese, bacon, and that's how you do it. You know, it's just always like some kid in 10 seconds trying to show you how to get diabetes or, you know, break a world record for acquiring diabetes or some shit like that. But I gotta be honest, it's weighed me down a little bit. They kind of got me. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm looking for, it's my week to grocery shop and do all the cooking. I'm looking for something a little easy for one of these nights. You know, I can't be doing a full prep meal every night. Sometimes you just, you gotta take a load off, you know? So I'm looking for something easy and I find this one that keeps reoccurring. There's always a different version of it. Sometimes it's burgers, sometimes it's chicken, sometimes it's fucking veggie, macaroni, crackaroni, whatever the fuck it is. But, you know, this time it's bacon, chicken, ranch, sliders you get like hawaiian sweet rolls you you put some garlic butter on it you take a rotisserie chicken you just shred the meat up and throw it on there you put a couple different types of cheese on bada bing bada boom a little bacon bit some ranch whatever you gotta do you pack it all together you throw it in the oven 20 minutes and bam you got like these dank ass chicken ranch bacon sliders they're so good and so you know i decided to do it i was like let me try to be a little bougie about it so i got some nice bread and I, I made my own garlic butter sauce, put all my herbs together and my garlic and, and my butter and made a little sauce out of it. Tried to get a couple different types of nice cheeses to have a, a complimentary blend. Made my own bacon and just get that fucking bacon in a bag bullshit that should be banned from the world. Fuck that shit. Uh, you know, actually made my own bacon bits. I did get a nice Sam's Club rotisserie chicken because, yes, they are better. The, the best rotisserie chicken comes from Sam's Club. Fight me on it. But, you know, anyway, we put the whole thing together. I'm like, whatever. This will be, I'm sure it's going to be fun. You know, it's got bacon. It's got ranch. It's got cheese. It's got chicken. There's no way it's not going to be good. I don't know if maybe I'm a god or maybe I just need to maybe say I was wrong and thank the people of TikTok for constantly shoving this concept down my throat. But, dude, these things were fucking amazing. They're so good. And they're very easy to make. And now I'm thinking, you know... If I ever find myself in a hypothetical situation where I'm where where I end up like at like a party or like a dinner situation, I gotta bring something. Like this is the shit I'm bringing. I'm bringing these bad bitches, and uh, everyone's gonna eat them. You got fucking the garlic butter on the bottom of the bread, and then you throw some some chives down there, or no no, then you throw some uh what is it some cheese down there, 
Then you throw some some chives. Then you throw some chicken. Then you throw some bacon. Then you sp- spread a little ranch dressing on there. Another round of cheese, different kinds of cheese. Anyway, you know, you top it. You put a little more of the garlic butter. You get some Parmesan on top. This shit was so good. So I got to give a shout out to the, the boys and girls at TikTok out here making, making the food happen. That's going to make me a happy boy. And uh, my only thing is, I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? You know, people are so addicted to, like, Instagram reels and TikTok and all this shit that's just totally just taken over all of social media. Everything is trying to be TikTok. That I wonder if it's actually impossible to go to, like, a function now where people, you know, bring food, like a Super Bowl party or, like, a Thanksgiving potluck or whatever the fuck it might be, right? I feel like it's kind of impossible to be, like, a Gen Z, a Gen uh, millennial, whatever the fuck they're called, and uh, and go to one of these get-togethers without it probably just ending up being like, oh look, everyone who brought food brought one of those like often seen TikTok recipes, you know? Because it, like if you know these these platforms, you know what I'm talking about. They're always trying to help you make an easy cheeseburger slider or an easy taquito knockoff recipe or easy pasta this or that. And it's like, I think most of us are pretty familiar with like the same five generic recipes you see all the time on Instagram and on TikTok and stuff. And I, it just makes me wonder, it's like, are we, are we going to like be at a part where like a point in time where it's like you invite all your Gen Z TikTok friends over to your house and you're like, we're having a party, bring some food, you know, everyone brings a plate and we, you know, we chow down and like everyone walks up with the same three endless repeat recipes from TikTok and it just got my mind thinking but when my mind started thinking my tummy started getting hungry so then I had to eat more of these bacon chicken ranch sliders and baby the cycle repeats itself and that's the natural way of things and you rinse repeat you get diabetes you die and you let the next generation do the same and that's just that's just the circle life baby so that's what I've been eating so I gotta stay on that but I am actually pretty excited to talk to you guys about what I've been playing I'm playing a couple things this week let me just get to the thing I care about the most Tinykin so the time you're hearing this podcast this game is out it came out this past Tuesday. It launched in the Game Pass. So if you're curious about it, if I, if I do it, if I do my job and sell you on it successfully, you might even want to give it a go. But yeah, it's it's on Game Pass. My dumbass. I, there's a demo for it. So I played the demo over the weekend, and immediately fell in love with it so much so that I immediately pre-ordered it. You know, because you pre-order a game, um, you sometimes you get the Xbox Live Gold or the Game Pass discount. So I was like, you know what, 23 bucks. I want to support this developer. I want to be there day one. I'm buying this game. And then, like, an hour after I downloaded it or bought it or pre-ordered it or whatever, I was like, oh, shit, isn't this game coming to Game Pass? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's coming to Game Pass. I just bought it for no reason. But you know what? I don't feel bad about it for for a couple of reasons. One, this is a truly indie game. This is not, like, a game that looks like an old game but is published by fucking Tencent, so we call it an indie game. This is, like, genuinely an indie game. So I'm more than happy to support these developers um, because what I'm about to tell you from my experience playing this demo... I truly adore this game. And uh, on top of that, also, it's 20 bucks, whatever. I'm, I'd, I'd rather this developer get my 20 bucks than accidentally purchase fucking Halo Infinite not knowing it's on Game Pass or something like that, you know? So anyway, uh, Tinykin. So what? what is it? Yeah, weird weird name for a game, I know. All one word, T-I-N-Y-K-I-N, Tinykin. This game is basically, uh, you can tell it's a love letter to Nintendo platforms, platformers of yesterday, but it is, it's like taking mostly Pikmin, the Nintendo game Pikmin with a little bit of Chibi Robo. So a lot of like Nintendo GameCube era, like platform character games, although Pikmin's a strategy game technically. Mixing it in with a little bit of like Mario Collectathon 3D platformer. And this game is so fucking good. I saw this game, I saw a trailer for this a few weeks back and I was like, I need to play this because even though I'm not enamored with the art style, I, I, I can tell by the gameplay mechanic that this is a Jesse game. And so basically, I, I don't even understand the world of this game. You got these little 
things, these little creature things, kind of like Pikmin. These other, like, various toys and animals and bugs and creatures and shit that exist in this, like, human world where it's kind of like a mix of, like, Toy Story meets Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Some levels are, like, outside in the backyard. Some levels are, like, in Andy's bedroom or whatever. Uh, but you play as what looks like a human, kind of like in Pikmin, where it's like, I can't tell if we're humans in Pikmin or if it's just a unique art style or if it's some other creature that looks like humans. You can tell there's a ton of Pikmin influence in this game. So it is a lot of that. But the other twist is it has a very like Paper Mario inspired art style with Chibi Robo. So it's kind of like Chibi Robo and Pikmin in that like you're, you know, you're using a little army to command and pick up these everyday household items and use them and collect them to use for various effects. But it treats them like these foreign objects, you know, because it's like you're not just regular old humans. So like you're picking up like DVDs and TV remotes and fucking like hair clips and stuff. And it has like all these interesting names and ideas for what they are because it's just an, basically an alternate universe or weird world, a different species. And it's kind of cute. Um, so if you're not familiar with Pikmin, I don't know how you couldn't be. Pikmin such an iconic game at this point. You know, Pikmin, that kind of survival RTS game where it's like you're being given so much time in a day and you got to farm your Pikmin and then you got to command armies, take them, grab this piece, build this bridge, try to get this mission done under this certain time frame, and all the different Pikmin can be commanded like an army to do different tasks. Some have different abilities. Some have certain combat abilities. Some have certain traversal abilities. Like some can go in water. Some can withstand fire. Some can attack this enemy better than this enemy. Some can fly. So Pikmin, I, I love Pikmin, especially, God, going back to like my Nintendo days, I played all three Pikmin games. I adore those games. So obviously this game is a shoo-in for me. But this game is not necessarily like Pikmin because when you're playing a level, you're not timed. It's not like, hey, you got 30 minutes to complete this task. It's like, no, no, no. You could, a level can take as long as you want it to. And the demo is only one level and a tutorial. I spent an hour on the one level. So it can be quite long. I think that full game only has like six levels though. Uh, so for 20 bucks, you know, six levels, that's that's fine. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. So like you're trying to like rebuild... I don't. I didn't really follow any story or dialogue because I'm gonna save it for when I play the proper game. But you're trying to collect these items and rebuild these things. So like you're trying to fix like this DVD system with a stereo and all this shit. So so basically you're in this big bedroom, this big ch child's bedroom. Looks like Andy's bedroom from Toy Story, and you're just like platforming all over all the objects in the room, and you're gliding, and you have all these abilities, and you have to collect all the all the little gems, which are kind of like coins in Mario or whatever, if you want to put it like that. You keep finding your various little tiny kin, and you pick them up, just like Pikmin, and you add them to your army, and then it's like, okay, I need this object, and I need to move it over there, and retrieve this, and I need to put this 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 uh, disc in the, in the disc player. I need to put uh, this screwdriver over here by this vent to open this vent and unlock this item and give it to this character. And so it's a lot of that, like, explore the entire map, collect everything, find the very light puzzles of, like, huh, I came across this item. Oh, I need this item because later on the map, you talk to this person. This person needs this thing, and this item helps them do that thing. And in reward, they'll, you know, if you do that successfully, they'll give you this reward. So it's 3D platformer meets Pikmin survival, or not survival, but Pikmin like RTS or type, you know, strategy type game. And it's so, so good. You guys know me. I love the 3D platformer more than anything. I know I'm an Xbox gamer mostly. Uh, I love Halo. I love violent, mature rated games. I love deep storytelling and gaming like The Last of Us and God of War as well. I, I, I am an adult gamer in those respects, but at the end of the day, I never grew out of my absolute ad adoration and love 
for the 3D platformers, which are the games I grew up on loving the most. You know, Mario 64, one of the most important games to me as a child. Um, Mario Galaxy, still to this day, my absolute favorite game of all time, bar none. I'm sorry, Sonic. I'm sorry, Halo. You guys are my favorite franchises, but there's no denying that Mario Galaxy, still to this day, is an absolute masterpiece of a game, one of the, or literally the greatest video game, if you ask me. And so, you know, these kinds of games matter a lot to me. I love the 3D character platformers. I love these kinds of games just so very much. And Tiny Kin feels like a really beautiful love letter to like the Nintendo GameCube era of, of these genres. And I, I love the game for that. It's so good. It's got like this paper Mario art style where your character and some of the objects in the world have this like papery 2D effect where like you're in a 3D world, but you look two dimensional. So like when you walk backwards and forwards, you kind of like flip around like a sheet of paper, but every, all the objects and everything around you in the environment is fully rendered 3D, you know, art assets. And so it's like a fun little juxtaposition of that, of the 2D versus 3D. My only real gripe I ran into this in this game is the jump is kind of fucking broken. The jump is a buzzkill. And I know that's like the worst thing you can have happen in a game like this. It's like, what? oh, Mario's a great game, but the jumping kind of sucks. You know, it's like Halo's a great game, but the gunplay's not very good. Like that's, you can't have that, right? And it's, it's not that egregious to where like the entire game is busted without this jump because keep in mind, it's not entirely a 3D platformer. It is also a collect-a-thon slash strategy type light puzzle solving game. So there's enough varying aspects to it that the jumping alone does not entirely make or break the game. But it does greatly impact it. So I, I found it quite annoying because there's no double jump in this game. There's just a jump and then a float. You hold A the second time and you can do like a glidey float thing. The problem is your jump is too short and there's no there's no like physics to it. Like once you hit the peak of your jump, you fall down like a brick. There's no time. So timing nice like tight platforming and good jumps and everything is super hard because the, the 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 jump is so unforgiving with its timing and with its floatiness or lack thereof. And that I found is a huge buzzkill. I hope they're able to tweak this game and update it to make that a little better. But other than that, I think artistically, performance-wise, just this game is super imaginative, super creative, super fun to look at and play. I I cannot wait this weekend to get into the proper game. I played the demo. I deleted the demo immediately after I played it. I was like, I don't want to touch that again. This is a very rare case where like I'm tempted to replay this demo. It was so good, but I'm not going to let myself do that. I want to just un unfold and indulge in the final product. So this weekend, you best believe I'm playing Tinykin. Um, I don't regret accidentally buying it because I'm happy to give this team uh, my money and to support this project. Yeah, the um, the developer is Splash Team and the publisher is Tiny Build. I'm actually not familiar with either, so I'm not sure if there's any history behind either of those. But um, man, oh man, I just I cannot recommend this game enough. I find it so 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 fun. And uh, yeah, that's that's the thing I've been playing the most, honestly. If the rest of the game holds up as well as this demo did, you know, it's been a, it's been a pretty slow year thus far for someone like me. Uh, who games the way I game. Um, but it, it, if this game continues to be as good as that demo was, um, it's right up there with Nobody Saves the World as the best games I've played this year. But, of course, we still got Sonic Frontiers coming out. So, who knows? This 2022 might end up actually being a weird year for me where it's like the fucking year of, like, Jesse's childhood coming in reincarnated, like Zelda-like games with Nobody Saves the World, Pikmin-like games with, uh, with, um, with uh, Tiny Can and Sonic Frontiers and... You know I'm also excited for some Splatoon 3. I got to get that. So it's weird. It's uh, not your usual year of action mature games, but more so 
all these all ages platforming adventure games, which, hey, if that's what we get, I'm not here to complain about that. I'll, I'll take it. So that's the first game I've been playing. And oddly enough, we're keeping with the 3D character platformer bullshit because the other game I played this week, and uh, I, I don't know, I kind of have regret about this, was uh, Pac-Man World Repack. Now, I don't know how well known this franchise was, but Pac-Man World was a, th- a 3D character platformer game. The first one was released on the PlayStation 1. I don't know what else it was on. I think it was on like Game Boy Color and PC. But it was a PS1 game. And then they made a second and a third one, which came to PS2 and Xbox and GameCube back in the day. Uh, I was very familiar with the first two. Pac-Man World 1 and 2. Me and my brothers played those games a lot when we were kids. And, um, you know, we remember them fondly. You know how when you're a kid, when you're like 8 years old, you play a game that's not necessarily great. But you're a kid and your tiny fucking brain doesn't allow you to think critically enough to realize why it's not a good game. So you think it's a good game. And then you try to play the game again when you're 25 and you're just like, oh, wait, I, this game's not good. <laughs> I, I kind of had that experience a little bit with Pac-Man Repack. So they re-released Pac-Man World, the first one. $30, great value. The original PS1 game, completely redone from the ground up in just terms of all the art assets, sets, reworking the, the gameplay a little bit, modernizing it, bringing it up to a more acceptable play state for an Xbox Series X, right? And um, I think for like a budgety ground up remake, this this worked quite well. Like it's it's good. It's everything it promised to be. I think thirty dollars is a great price point for this. I, I told myself, oh, the second this comes out, I'm I'm playing this, and I did. But I don't know what I was expecting. I found myself, <clears throat> excuse me, I found myself disappointed by this game. I don't know why. I played it in one sit- in two sittings across one day, maybe maybe five six hours total to play it. And I just blasted through it. I was so excited. I was like, oh, man, Pac-Man World is so much nostalgia. I can't wait to get back into this again. You know, haven't thought about this game probably since, like, 2002. And then, ah, man, I'm like, this game kind of is boring as shit. Like, the moveset is not fun to use. The level design is, like, kind of fucking mediocre and lame. It's got some of that old-school game problem where it's just, like, it gets obnoxiously hard towards the end a little bit for no good reason. It's just not very fun. I don't feel encouraged to explore and collect in these levels. I'm like, you know what? I love character platformers, but this is not one that held up to my memory at all. So I played through the whole thing. I had to see it all the way through. But Pac-Man World is a, uh, it's kind of a trip. I mean, obviously it was, you know, Namco at the time trying to respond to the popularity of 3D Mario games and Sonic and all, all these things that were just blowing up. You know, 3D character platformers were all the rage in the late PS1, PS2, uh, Xbox, GameCube era. Like, that that was the shit, you know? That was my prime childhood years, and oh boy, was it so nice to have, you know, all those games, because I, I grew up with the, that, those kinds of, that genre, you know, and remember it all so fondly. And uh, I, I feel bad for today's kids, because it's like, I, I know it's like I have a different perspective based on wh- when I was born and everything, but like, man, I'm so happy I grew up with, Super Mario 64 and Mario Sunshine and Pikmin and all that shit and Sonic Adventure instead of um, Fortnite <laughs> and Among Us and, and Rocket League. And that's no slight to those games. I actually like all those games, but fuck, I'm so glad I, ga- I grew up with the games I had. Anyway, um, but yeah, th- this game in particular didn't hold up. It's 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 so goofy that they try to do like cutscenes and a story in a Pac-Man game. It's I realize now Sonic Generations in 2010 later kind of ripped off this game's story, which is laughable because the story is so fucking stupid. It's like Pac-Man is coming home to a party. He's got his Pac-Man dad and his Pac-Man wife and 
this Pac-Man baby and his little Pac-Man dog. And he comes home and he finds out they've all been kidnapped by these ghosts. And the ghosts take him to a ghost party. And the ghost is like, oh, I wanted you to capture Pac-Man. And now Pac-Man's got to go through all the worlds and complete all the levels to go rescue his family. It's just, you know, it's just such a generic bullshit platformer storytelling. It's... It's so it's fucking weird. Like so that, as an eight-year-old, I sit there and I watch the Pac-Man-shaped dog try to eat the birthday cake and then get kidnapped by a ghost. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I buy this. You know, but the same the same fucking child brain that accepts watching Stuart Little 2 is just like, yeah, this makes sense. But as a 27-year-old, I, I play this game again. And I'm just like, I uh, why, why the fuck did any like I don't want to hold myself or kids my age responsible for playing this game. I want to hold the developers responsible for thinking that this was an okay narrative to put there out into the world. You want to wonder why the world is so fucked up th- today the way it is, why the corporations own everything and the politicians are corrupt and they're not working for you, they're working against you and nobody gives a shit about global warming and we're all going to be underwater and in a matter, matter of years and no one under the age of 40 will ever be able to buy a home in this economy. Fuck you. You want to wonder why we're and I'm sure you're curious as to why the world is that way it's because nobody was protecting the kids when these japanese developers over at bandai and namco or whatever fuck all the way back in the late 90s were out there putting out stories about ghosts gobbling up little ball-shaped children while they try to eat their fucking birthday cake and then having to run around a goddamn world as a as a yellow tumorous ball trying to destroy a bunch of fucking ghosts in order to save your family like it's fucking weirdest game ever but uh, yeah, I don't know. Pac- Pac-Man World Repack. I don't necessarily recommend it. Maybe if you're super nostalgic like I I was, I don't regret playing it necessarily, but like I kind of do regret <laughs> that it was all I played really this weekend. Because I look back, I'm like, fuck, I should have just stuck with Yakuza. <laughs> but uh, that's Pac-Man. The only other thing I played this week, and I didn't really technically play it enough to speak to it, but SD Gundam Battle Alliance, speaking of Bandai Namco, Guys, I, I don't have a history with Gundam, especially the video games. I really don't have an, a history with it. I've always thought the toys were cool, you know, as a Transformers fan growing up. But um, I don't have really any experience with Gundam. I never really played any of these games. But I keep seeing the trailer for this new SD Gundam Battle Alliance game that just came out in the past week. And I, I don't know why. I can't explain what is triggering my monkey brain to go off. But every time I see this game, I'm like, for some reason, I want to play that. So yesterday I found out there's actually a demo for it, so I downloaded the demo. I, I, I tried to give it a go, but it was like 11 o'clock at night. I just got finished doing like a million different things. I'm like, I am falling asleep as I press start the menu. So I, I only got like literally 20 minutes into the demo, and I can't really speak to what I played. But from what I've researched, from what I've seen in videos, and from what I got a tiny, tiny feel for with just the combat mechanics for a brief moment, it's weird. It's like, it's like an action RPG is how they tout it, but it's got a little bit of a of like um of like a monster hunter twist to it. And listen, I, I, I don't have time for this right now. I'm tr- too busy trying to get to my backlog. I'm not playing this game. I'm not buying this game. I am going to go back to the demo and give it another go. But I feel like this is kind of a game that's like scratching an itch. Like if you're someone who's not working on the backlog right now, but you are suffering from the gaming drought we're, we're dealing with right now, which I'm, I'm kind of feeling blessed for, to be honest. But if you're looking for something new, this is a really interesting game. I just... Like, if you like that kind of Monster Hunter type uh, RPG, action-y RPG combat style uh, in a super Japanese package, like, I think, I don't know, this game, there's something about this. I'm excited to learn more and see more about this game. I don't really have much to say on it right now, but for something about this game is drawing my attention, and I will have to investigate further. So put a pin in that. We'll get back to it next week, hopefully. But 
Guys, that's it for what I've been playing. Holy fuck. We're probably like an hour and a half into the show. Uh, we'll get to the news now that we're an hour and a half in. I appreciate your patience. Hopefully this is making for some entertaining conversation. But if not, fuck you. There are other podcasts. Okay? Joe Rogan, go listen to him talk about fucking eating elk meat if that's what you want to do. Bye-bye. But we're going to talk about some Xbox news coming up now. All right, news time. Our first one is all about game passing. Ever feel like, hey, friend, hey, family, I wish I could pass my game to you? Well, now you can. Reportedly discovered on Xbox back VGC reports. All right, let's read in English now. A logo for Xbox Game Pass friends and family has reportedly been discovered, which could suggest official multi-user subscription could be coming soon. The alleged logo for the service was founded by at Illumia underscore Italia on Twitter user who scrapes Xbox's back end. Oh, look, we talked about him the other week. Earlier in the month, Microsoft announced that it was testing a new tier of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate in Ireland and Colombia that would allow members to share memberships with multiple users. It appears that the new tier of service will be known as Game Pass Friends and Family when it begins. The Xbox Game Pass Insider Preview will allow users in Ireland and Colombia to add up to four people to their subscription all with their own unique access to Xbox Game Pass Ultimate content and benefits, Microsoft said earlier in the month. While players being added to the subscription don't have to be part of the Insider program, they do need to have live in the same country as the Insider adding them, essentially limiting the trial to Ireland and Colombia for now. It also appears that this is a new scheme that will be more expensive than Xbox Game Pass Ultimate when it rolls out to the entire Xbox community in the future. Quote, joining the Xbox Game Pass Insider Preview will convert the time remaining of your old membership to the new plan based on the monetary value of the old membership reads in the Xbox blog detailing the plan. For example, full membership or full month of Ultimate will be converted into eight day, 18 days of the membership for this family plan. This way you won't lose any of your remaining value with your existing subscription upon conversion. Conversion is final and a user must wait for their new membership to expire before returning to the previous membership. Were the calculations to be replicated by a plan rolling out to all users, that would make about $25 per month for a family plan as opposed to $15 for an individual Game Pass Ultimate subscription. Oh, I, all right, all right. So we already talked about this um, back when it was in the news a little while ago. So I guess maybe this should have been in the stories of mild amusement as well. But I think that the main, the main thing here is value there's way too much value being put into this you think about how game pass ultimate is already you know quote unquote too cheap in terms of just like what you get for what you pay for how it's like how is that you know profitable and we know it's not but sustainable because xbox whatever we won't get into the whole profitability versus sustainability argument but what i do find interesting is that ostensibly you could for 25 bucks only 10 dollars more have a plan that allows like you and your best friend and your brother and your dog to all fucking share game pass subscription for less than double the price of a single one-person individual Game Pass Ultimate subscription. It's insane value. And we know a family plan is incredibly critical. You know, if you want if you want the future of Xbox to be this subscription service that's available everywhere and available to everyone, this is a thing you got to have, right? Because you got to have a family plan where, like, dad can play Xbox in the living room while his kid goes off to school and plays Fortnite on his iPhone and his and his daughter stays in upstairs in her bedroom on her laptop streaming fucking whatever game uh, th this girl plays. Let's say she's playing fucking Microsoft Flight Simulator and then, you know, mom's in the kitchen, but we're not doing sexist stereotypes. She's not making dinner. No, 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 no. She is actually on a PC, a power PC, but she's playing Hades, which just left Game Pass, so I don't know how the fuck mom's doing that, but whatever. And, you know, whatever. The, the idea is like, wow, okay, now everyone can get on the action. This is another barrier to entry, right? Because 
Think about how accessible Xbox has become for everyone, especially with Game Pass, especially with cloud streaming. Uh, subscription plans can be a big pain in the ass for kids. This is what I think of the most. It's it's kids. It always hurts the children. You know, when you're a kid, I, like I remember growing up in the age of like the earlier cell phones where it was like not everyone needed to have an, a cell phone. It was just really lucky assholes got to have them and everyone else was like, fuck you, too bad. And... This kind of reminds me of that era a little bit because it's one of those things where it's like, why would mom and dad get you a $15 a month Xbox Game Pass subscription? But now all of a sudden if it's like, well, you know, we got this one and it'll make all the kids happy because all the kids can use it. Or maybe dad wants to use it a little bit too or something like that. Now all of a sudden it's like, okay, okay, now we got, you know, now we can kind of roll in together on this. They also call it a friend's pass, which is the other astonishing part, perhaps the more astonishing part. Because this way you can get a bunch of bros together, you know, they're smoking their e-cigarettes, they're talking about bro, blah, 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 and then, you know, fucking city boy memes on, on the internet and everything, and then they get together, and the four of them, they're not just sharing college dorm, they're not just sharing a bar of soap in the, in the jail cell, now they're sharing a Game Pass Ultimate subscription, no, not an Ultimate subscription, a friends and family plan, so this makes these friends now become a family, because these four bros are not spending a collective 60 bucks on their own individual passes, but a but rather a twenty five dollars a month shared among four. Like this, th these are the kinds of scenarios that are running through my head where I'm just like, this will automatically just shove users onto the platform. Will this decrease the amount of money Game Pass brings in? Yes. Will this will this decrease the amount of subscriptions they get because fewer people will need to subscribe if more people can use a single subscription? Yes. But it will drastically and quickly and easily increase massively the number of users that get on the service. And that's kind of what Microsoft's going for, right? Because they always talk about how their, their data shows that people who have Game Pass end up spending more. They do more microtransactions. They buy more DLC. They buy more games after they leave the service, etc., etc. They play more games that they otherwise wouldn't have. No fucking shit. So the idea is you get more and more and more of those people. That's more people doing xCloud. That's more people playing on PC. That's more people buying games that are no longer on Game Pass slash buying microtransactions slash whatever, spending money on Xbox's platform and Xbox's ecosystem. And that is the ultimate goal. And so this is a... You th it's, it's kind of mind-blowing to me because Game Pass is already such an aggressive subscription service. Again, we always say... If you own an Xbox and you don't have Game Pass, you're kind of fucking stupid. Like, why would you not have Game Pass? And this just doubles down on that statement. It's like, well, like you and your buddies or you and your family play Xbox and you don't have Xbox Game Pass or you're not all in on a friends and family deal. What are you fucking doing? And it's, you know, normally we see Xbox these days try to do the whole like, hmm, what's something Sony's bad at doing or something that's like, not very consumer friendly Sony does. Ooh, let's do that thing to make them look bad, you know? You know, it's like let's do backwards compatibility cuz Sony sucks at it, you know? Let's let's put our games on PC first. Let's you know this that. There's so many examples of these kinds of things Xbox does. Crossplay. Let's let's embrace crossplay cuz Sony's being stingy about it. Right. I feel like this is Xbox taking that tact and that that method that they've used so much recently with PlayStation and now kind of using it on Netflix a little bit, it seems like, because, you know, Netflix's controversy recently has been they're hemorrhaging subscribers and people are jumping ship, their content sucks, and, uh, and they're cracking down on people trying to share subscriptions, which is just the opposite of what they need to be doing. Meanwhile, Microsoft's over here like, yo, you and your buddies trying to save some cash and get in on the same Xbox Game Pass subscription? Here, here's an option for you. Let's in let's incentivize for you guys to do that. And again, it's it means less money up front 
purely on the subscription itself, but it's going to add many more users to your platform, many more opportunities to monetize it. And that's, you know, where things like Game Pass obviously differ from like Hulu and Apple Plus and all that shit is because those services, you pay for the subscription and that is it. You watch the content. But these kinds of services, you pay for them and then you still spend money on the platform otherwise. So it's a little bit different of a model, but yeah, I mean, we talked about last time they're they're continuing to test in these. I, I, I'm curious to know why Ireland and Colombia in particular. I'm, I'm very curious as to why those markets. But um, no doubt this is something that is 100% happening. It's just a matter of when. And now we have, you know, all, all the information we need. It's just when's the release date, really. Man, I almost wonder if maybe that could be a TGS announcement, to be honest. But uh, yeah. There's our latest talking on that. Next up, guys, let's talk. continue with Xbox uh, brand info, shit like that. Let's talk about the Xbox price point. So at the time this episode's going up, this news is now a week old, and it's kind of, you know, not as spicy, I guess. But last Thursday, hours after last week's episode went live, some massive bombshell news hit that PlayStation 5 would be seeing a price increase uh, of about 12%, you know, varying depending on the region you're in. In pretty much every country except the United States. And um, so, of course, you know, for Xbox players, immediately the question was, Xbox, are you are you hiking the price? Because PlayStation is doing this following inflation, just like how Facebook did with the Oculus Quest 2. Because of inflation, they're raising the price to try to keep up with the increased cost of manufacturing. Anyway, so, you know, clearly, if this is hitting Microsoft, if this is hitting Facebook, if this is hitting PlayStation, if this is hitting everyone else, obviously this is hitting Xbox. In fact, right now, the rumors are that Apple, who are a, a, a couple weeks, I think two weeks away from announcing their, their next set of iPhones, the rumor right now, the, the the widely believed rumor, is that Apple's getting ready to announce some pretty significant price increases on the iPhone, which is in, it, it just insane to think about considering how already overpriced the iPhone is, but, you know, inflation's a fucking bitch right now, and it's, it's hitting all these companies, and... This is how companies operate. They pass on the added cost to the consumer. So the question becomes, Xbox, what are you doing? Is your $300 Xbox, $300 Xbox about to go up? Is your $500 Series X about to go up? And they said, nope, we're staying where we're at. They said, quote, we are constantly evaluating our business to offer the fans great gaming options. Our Xbox Series S suggested retail price remains 250 euro or 300 US dollars. And the Series X remains at 450 euro or 500 US dollars. This is the first time the company, and this is from VGC, the first time the company spoke on the matter since the declining comment, since declining to comment to Bloomberg earlier in the year when the publication active different console makers whether they plan to increase the price of the systems following speculation on inflation. This comes in the wake of Sony's announcement uh, that effective immediately the price of both the standard PS5 and the digital edition will be raised in Europe, Australia, and parts of Asia and North America, but not the United States because apparently that is their... Dude, Sony like double fucked themselves. It's like... They they raised the price everywhere except the U.S. I feel like it should have been they raised the price everywhere, including the U.S., or they raised the price nowhere. Because by specifically showing that special treatment to the U.S., it like it it, it takes that already middle finger to like the Asian and the European and the uh, other parts of North America, like Canada, take to those markets. It takes that already middle finger and doubles it up with a second middle finger by being like, okay, uh, the price is going up because we need to make money on these things and they're not profitable with inflation being what it is and costing manufacturing skyrocketing. But also, America is so much more popular than all you other motherfuckers that we are going to eat the cost in the U.S. But everybody else, fucking pay up. <laughs> 
that's that's such a bad message to send to your to send to your consumers. Listen, that's a tough. This is a tough position, and this is one of those situations that really does highlight the difference of where Sony is as a company versus Microsoft. You know, we always talk Xbox versus PlayStation, but these parent companies are in very different situations. You kind of have to feel for Sony a little bit in this situation. Not not in that like, oh, I feel bad for Sony. Poor them. They're losing money. They need to, you know, whatever. Sony's still an incredibly wealthy company. I don't give a shit. You know, whatever. What I'm trying to say is you have to feel for the difficult situation, not not feel for, but be understanding of the difficult situation they're in where PlayStation is by far the most profitable and profitable and biggest aspect of of Sony's of Sony's pro, uh, revenue. Like PlayStation is their bread and butter is the biggest thing they do. For Xbox, uh, for Microsoft, Xbox is still this thing that just sinks a bunch of fucking money into play thing. They take it very seriously. They've chosen in recent years to take it very seriously. But still, you know, if they tomorrow decided, fuck it, we're not doing Xbox anymore, they could wave a magic wand and just be done with the whole fucking thing and move back on to selling, you know, office subscriptions and shit like that instead. And so this just goes to highlight that point further where Sony does not want to sell their console at a loss. Their business strategy, their market strategy includes making a small profit off the sale of a PlayStation console. On top of, you know, the main revenue source, which is the sale of first party games and the kickback you get from other publishers and developers selling their games on your platform in your ecosystem. So that's the business model for Sony is sell hardware, sell software. (laughs) But for Xbox, they're Microsoft. They have all the money in the world. It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, of course they're losing money on the sale of an Xbox Series S or X. They're way more expensive to produce than what they're being sold for. Absolutely. But you're Microsoft. You're you can afford to lose money on this console. It doesn't fucking matter. Right now, your goal is to try and penetrate the market and get Xbox into as many homes as possible, to get Game Pass as many subscribers as possible, to get as many people using Xbox's products and services as humanly possible. So we're PlayStation's in a bit of a pickle because they rely heavily on the financial success of the PlayStation hardware and software. Xbox benefits way greater because their parent company is so fucking filthy rich, they can lose money on the hardware all day. And it's only a benefit to them because it's just an opportunity now for them to undercut the PlayStation, therefore making their platform more attractive. It's already seen as a more attractive platform in terms of its value proposition, with Game Pass being so alluring. Now the hardware is significantly more attractive by price comparison. Not that the Series S didn't already make that point, but now even the Series X is cheaper than the PS5. And so you got like this double middle finger situation where it's just like... Xbox is more powerful, Xbox is more affordable, Xbox has Game Pass, which has so much good shit, and honestly, I continue to believe that 2022 and this ongoing story we have of, like, things are slow right now, there are not a lot of big games coming out, after Elden Ring, we kind of fell off, and there's just not a lot happening, people are either abandoning gaming right now, or or they're playing their backlogs, right? I continue to believe that, like, 2022 has been the best advertisement for Game Pass yet, because... This huge lull in between your Halo Infinites and your God of Wars and your Forzas and your Last of Us type games. Sorry, I didn't mean to hit the mic. Uh, but, you know, in, in between all this shit, all these big games from the big companies, right? It's just Game Pass being like, oh, yo, you should play Tinykins. Cool shit. Oh, man, uh, we're bringing all the Yakuza games back. Um, Actually, here's, uh, here's Nobody Saves the World. It's fucking awesome. Enjoy it, you know? And we get all these showcases at Gamescom and during the summer that are just like, here's a bunch of fucking games coming to Game Pass. Fuck you. High on Life, uh, Lies of P, Atomic Heart. God, that game looks so good. Just all this shit. And it's like just so many countless examples of these games. It's like these games look fucking awesome. 
And it's just like, yeah, they'll be in Game Pass day one. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it sucks that, like, Call of Duty's not out right now or whatever. And there's, you know, Xbox doesn't have any big game. We don't have Fable or Avowed coming out this fall. Of course, Starfield got delayed. Redfall got delayed. You know, that, that all sucks, right? We can have that conversation till we're blue in the face. But all it does with Xbox now being more affordable than PlayStation and, X, you know, Game Pass just being this this value king that's just in your face all the time while nothing else is happening. It just continues to make Game Pass the best fucking place to play. Like, this sounds like I'm getting bought off by Xbox. I'm not. It's just, God, it's so funny how, you know, Xbox has dealt this huge blow with Redfall and Starfield not actually coming out in 2022. But because of the other factors with the price situation between Xbox and PlayStation, with the value of Game Pass versus nothing that Sony has to really offer to counter it, and then with it just being such a stale year outside of what's going on in Game Pass, this nothingness and this bad news and this just continued shitty economic situation is kind of naturally propping Xbox up and up. And Xbox has kind of got their work cut out for them. It's just like, yeah, our box is cheaper. Yep, Game Pass is great value. Yep, here's a bunch of games that you never thought you you never heard of before that are so interesting and so fun, and you can play them all through Game Pass while you wait for your super duper big AAA games to come out. And it just it just continues to to roll and roll that way. So I, I don't know, man. It, obviously, this is a this is an unfortunate situation for people looking to buy a PS5, and and PS5s are starting to get to the point where they are possible to find. I finally I finally found one online. I, I to be fair, I never really aggressively looked for a PS5. But, you know, I heard that PlayStation Direct, it's really not hard to buy one on there. So I went to PlayStation Direct, logged in with my PlayStation ID, and sure enough, yeah. They had a, it was like a Horizon Horizon um, bundle of the disc version of the PS5. I was like, nah, no thanks. For 550 no thanks. I, I am only interested in the digital version of a PS5. But I, I just to see if it was even possible, I, I hit add to cart. I got it all the way to the checkout page just to see if I could even do it. I didn't buy it. Because I'm, I don't know, I'll get a PS5 one day, but I'm not clamoring for it. I feel like I regret buying the PS4 as soon as I did. I feel like I need to wait till the PS5 has a pretty significant price cut before I, I buy one. Because I ended up just not using my PS4 that much, so I don't, I don't want to make the same mistake with my PS5 where I feel the pressure to buy it because it's like, oh, I'm a gamer, I have to have it. And then it's like, what, you're just going to play like two games on it? Not to mention all the good PlayStation exclusives are also coming to PS4, so it's like, eh, I might as well. I'll play God of War Ragnarok on my PS4, provided that it's not, you know, completely fucking broken. And also, now PlayStation games starting to come to PC. Maybe I should just wait for that. I don't know. But, yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm not trying to, like, paint a pity party for Sony. Like, fuck them, who cares? I, I guess it's just, um, this is this is a story that kind of really shows that that difference between these companies and, and what their abilities are you know this is why xbox is able to strong arm their way into a bigger piece of the conversation with something like game passes because they can just throw fucking money into a pit until it makes them relevant and important whereas sony sony can't afford to do that they just they just gotta they just gotta be better that's really all sony can do because they just can't afford to be selling these consoles at a loss. They can't afford to be not making money off selling first-party content. They can't afford to be sustaining a subscription service that doesn't profit them anything. Like They they just got to be better than Xbox because they cannot compete with the value that Xbox provides. Now, of course, I think, I think Sony would be fine if they sold PS5 at a loss, but it would just be financially irresponsible considering you know what PlayStation means to them and, and what a big 
most important chunk of their pro- their business model that that PlayStation is. It just it just doesn't make sense. They haven't sold PlayStation at a loss since the PS3, and I don't think they plan on ever going back to that, to be honest. But uh, yeah, so good to know Xbox is is gonna keep strong. This is definitely definitely. I mean, another one of these just optical, you know, like softballs for Xbox. Some of these things matter more than others, but it's just all these things. It's like, look, Game Pass is popping. MLB The Show, it's PlayStation's game. We got it on Xbox. Death Stranding, that PlayStation game, we got on PC Game Pass. Uh, our console, we're keeping at the same fucking price, baby. PlayStation prices keep going up. It's just, just keeps, the story just keeps writing itself. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not, it's not a great look for Sony, but they definitely continue to be the, in the number one spot and the most serious competition Xbox is ever going to face, I think. Spe- speaking of potentially fierce competition for Xbox, guys, let's next talk about the story that I uh, probably should have put at the top of the news, but just really have been dreading having to talk about, which is this story. Uh, what God, when was this? Like m- like Monday or something? I don't remember. God, we haven't heard anything on it. But Amazon, VGC reports, Amazon is reportedly planning to acquire electronic arts or at least were i don't know Uh, actually this is according to a usa today uh series of sources saying that amazon is set to announce last friday so yeah that was a friday that uh it has tabled a formal a former formal god i can't speak a formal offer to purchase the fifa madden and apex legends publisher it was recently claimed that EA has been actively pursuing a sale or merger for some time. In fact, we talked about it on the show just a month or two ago. In May, a Puck report claimed EA had recently held talks with Disney, Apple, Amazon, Comcast, NBC Universal over a potential sale. The report claimed sources that indicated that the FIFA and Battlefield maker has been persistent in pursuing a sale and has only grown more emboldened in the wake of the Microsoft Activision deal. Quote, others say that EA is primarily interested in a merger arrangement that would allow the CEO, Andrew Wilson, to remain as chief executive officer of the combined company, it added. During EA's quarterly earnings call this month, Wilson was asked about the reports that the company is pursuing a sale. He said, quote, First, I am sure that you don't expect me to comment on rumors and speculation from some small red media outlets, but be what it be that as it may, I would tell you I think that there are some incredible positions there's an incredible position we're soon to be the largest standalone independent developer and publisher of interactive entertainment in the world. That is actually true. I can't believe that's actually not that's actually like legitimately where we're headed. I think we have the most incredible teams in our industry and our and on the planet. As CEO or as COO Laura uh, Mealy spoke to earlier, we're attracting more than the more and more incredible creative talent, uh, and we have the community. <laughs> we're attracting more and more creative talent. Sorry, my mind immediately goes to all the people who keep leaving and then rejoining, and then relieving Bioware. Uh, but anyway, um, creative talent that we have a community that's 600 million uh, strong that's growing, and certainly we're well on our way to aspiring to be one of to be able to engage 1 billion people in play across the planet, blah, blah, blah. He goes on and on. Who gives a shit? My objective of CEO for the company is always to take care of the people, our players, shareholders, and that would never uh, be able to do a different way we're doing it today. I, of course, have known I had to be open to that. Anyway, basically saying, I would never sell this company. I would never lie. I only care about the well-being of our shareholders and our consumers, blah, blah, blah. Of course, I would never rule something out if it were a good idea, which is basically leaving the door open for, hmm, I'm interested in selling. Guys, obviously shit's going on with EA. Clearly they're trying to position themselves. I think there's no way to read this other than, yeah, the ru- the rumors, the sources, they, they gather the shit right. Andrew Wilson is clearly trying to 
find a way to have his cake and eat too. He wants to continue to hold on to EA while further positioning them by getting them in a position where some big company wants to acquire them. The problem is, God, they're going after the worst suitors. It's <laughs> Come on. In fact, I really struggle to think who would even be. I mean, ideally, they would just stay independent, right? But uh, you struggle to think, like, who would be a good fit? Like, you, you look at the list that we talked about earlier that they were in talks with. Disney, terrible. Comcast, NBC, Universal, terrible. Apple, Amazon, it's just... Apple, I, I feel like it's a terrible fit for EA. I mean, it might be good for EA if they were owned by Apple, but I feel like it's a terrible brand to align yourself with. Because Apple has so much goodwill with their audience, and EA is just the exact opposite. So it's such an unlike match. And then Amazon, Amazon, I don't know. Amazon has that like Google, Facebook stink on them to me, where it's just like you're so shameless. I mean, I, of course, all these companies are just shameless fucking cash grabby corporations. But like, Amazon is so extra shameless because Amazon really truly doesn't have any identity. It's like any anytime you get on like Amazon Prime, there's just there's nothing that looks, feels, or has some overt air of Amazon. You know, there's no coherency between Whole Foods supermarket and buying your mother a a birthday gift on Amazon. There's no fucking like anything to that, and it's just so like I know they have all the money, their cloud infrastructure, and everything. They own the world, but like I don't know. It's just, EA doesn't. It doesn't jive, especially when Amazon's been so failed with their attempts at getting into gaming and everything. It's just, it just seems like a gross pairing. But I, I think of the group, maybe Amazon makes the most sense. And of course, we all don't want to see the inevitable. Well, Embracer got him. Well, Tencent got him. So it's like, fuck. Maybe, maybe fucking Amazon just take him away. You know, it's all inevitable. Yeah, man. I, I just, I don't, I don't. I don't want to talk about this. If, that, if I can be honest, like I love getting uh, to get come over here every every Wednesday and, and talk Xbox with you guys, but I'm so sick and tired of the acquisitions and the mergers. And at this point, it is abundantly clear to us all that these are inevitable. So yeah, is EA looking to sell? The answer is yes. Fuck you, uh, fuck you, Andrew Wilson. I know you're trying to do your little fucking PR talk. The an- the answer is Andrew Wilson is trying. To sell or merge EA, he wants to continue to run the company, but he wants the best of both worlds, whatever. But I, I, I can't act like, aside from that being like, well, of course, it's technically big news that's technically notable. I can't be bothered to be like, oh, yeah, and we care because. Because it's like, yeah, of course, everyone's been bought by this point. Everyone's merged. Everyone's had big investment dollars from some fucking government that's trying to innocently murder or that's trying to murder innocent people. Like, I I get it. I get the we get it. People have a creative idea to make a video game so people will have fun and then they find mass murderers to go and fund these projects because that's apparently what gaming is about now. We get it. Okay. Whether it's fucking slave labor or denying other countries statehood or genociding people in Yemen, we look to these powers that be and say, please, will you fund my game about a girl with purple hair that can climb walls? And then video games are born because that's, that's, I don't know. Like, dude, you cannot pay me to be enthusiastic about this shit anymore. I just, ah, I love Xbox on. I'm so grateful I get to do this podcast, but... In 2019, when I started this podcast, if someone told me, like, yo, Jesse, you're about to start an Xbox podcast, that's cool, but I come from the future. Let me tell you something real quick. Your Xbox podcast, let me give you a little sneak peek about the news you're going to be covering over the next few years. First of all, every game's going to get delayed by 100 years, and um, 
a lot of men in suits are going to touch a lot of women inappropriately. Uh, but here's the real kicker. Um, communist China and, and American corporations with no backbone are going to consolidate and buy every fucking ounce of creativity from the industry and consolidate it under one roof. And I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I will start that podcast about exercise instead. Uh, it's just, man, I just, mm, I can't, I can't muster. I'm trying with all my might. And uh, so EA, I have no no doubt that they will be acquired or they will merge or something will happen sooner or later. So we will have that discussion when it inevitably happens, you know, when fucking Denny's and IHOP combine with EA and Fry's Electronics to create one ultra mega corporation with ExxonMobil. Fuck yeah, we'll talk about it when it happens. But for the time being, um, I don't want to talk about EA unless we're just laughing about how Dragon Age 4 is still in development, so... Uh, we're done with that. Bye-bye. Let's talk about actual video games. Remember how excited I was when we talked about Tinykin? Anyway, next up. <laughs> fuck. Xbox is talking about Activision again. All right. VGC. Microsoft's planned acquisition of Activision Blizzard is primarily driven by the company's mobile and PC gaming ambitions, according to the Xbox CEO of gaming, Mr. Phil Spencer, when asked by Bloomberg how the proposed $68.7 billion deal came about, Phil Spencer said Microsoft was motivated by a desire to grow its creative capability on non-console platforms, particularly mobile. Quote, when we... The, dude, Phil Spencer is the king of this PR statement. where he, he always starts his sentences like this. When we think about... When I think about... Anyway. When we think about where we are... Uh, when we... Th- when we were thinking about what we were capable of doing today and where we need to go, the biggest gaming platform on the planet is mobile phones, he said. One and a half billion people play games on mobile phones, and I'm guessing, and I guess regretfully, as Microsoft's not a place to have a, a native platform. Dude, Phil Spencer just n- mentioned fucking Windows Phone. Okay, uh, and I guess regretfully, as Microsoft, it's not a place we have a native platform. As gaming coming from console and PC, we don't have a lot of creative capability that has built hit mobile games. Okay, full stop real quick. Uh, Phil Spencer more or less just confirmed that the reason why cloud gaming exists and why Game Pass exists is because Windows Phone failed because you motherfuckers buy Androids and iPhones when you could have had a Lumia 1520. Admit it, you're the problem. Okay, moving on. Continuing, he says, quote, one thing thinking about video games in that space is if you've been around maybe too long, you know that most of the creators out there, so you kind of know what teams that could be a good fit in terms of what they were trying to do. God, it's such PR talk. But we really started the discussions, internally at least, on Activision Blizzard around the capability um, they had on mobile and on PC with Blizzard. Those were two things that were really driving our interest. Activision Blizzard recently said, uh, end quote, Activision Blizzard recently said that its monthly active user pays total $361 million for the quarter ended in June 2022. Candy Crush Maker King accounted for $240 million players. World of Warcraft Studio Blizzard for $27 million. Call of Duty Publisher Activision for $94 million. So just look at that. Activision with Call of Duty predominantly, including Warzone, $94 million. Fucking Soccer Moms playing Candy Crush on their iPhone 12 Max. $240 million players insane. Spencer also said that he feels good about the chances of Microsoft's proposed Activision deal being approved by regulators. Yeah, of course you do. Later in the Bloomberg interview, Spencer was asked if he thinks consoles could still be around 10 years and said, quote, I equate in my head gaming on consoles to be a gaming on a television. Television, he responded. But absolutely, people are going to be playing on more screens. And I think for us as a platform, we don't adopt that as part of our strategy. We're kind of pushing against what our customers are asking for. So, 
I, I for, God, let's focus on that last quote first, just because I think it's the easier thing to tackle and something that makes the most sense in terms of just not making me want to hurt myself. But um, first of all, Phil Spencer strip saying more or less, actually, I should say more or less, not straight up, uh, more or less saying, I don't really know the answer to say that we'll be playing on Xboxes and Playstations in 10 years or not. It might just be apps on our TVs. But to me, when I think about console gaming, basically what he's saying is like, you know, we think about console gaming as the experience of sitting on your couch in front of your TV with a controller in hand, playing that way. Not necessarily whether the box is a PlayStation or Xbox, but just rather that that way of playing games. And so he says, well, I, basically why I can't, I don't know exactly if that's how we'll be playing games. I still think tradi- the traditional method of sitting in front of a TV on a couch with a controller in hand is how we'll probably be playing games. And, and the most important thing he says is that last part. We're kind of pushing, if we don't adopt that as part of our strategy, we're kind of pushing against what our customers are asking for. Which, you know, the age-old question, is console gaming dying? Is there going to be a day where we no longer have an Xbox platform and Xbox is just an app on your TV or your phone or your computer, right? You know? We always ask that question. Well, there's Phil Spencer's answer to it, and I think it's the only answer you really could and should give if you're Xbox or if you're Microsoft, or the only answer I could even fathom them having, which is that you make Xbox for as long as you need Xbox. And by Xbox, I don't mean the brand. I mean the physical console. You make the physical hardware for as long as you need it. Once the market clearly hits that shifting point of like, hey, we're off the hardware. You know, streaming is incredibly powerful. It's incredibly reliable. Latency is non-existent. You know, playing a game, regardless of where you live and regardless of what internet you have, streaming it to your TV, streaming it to your phone, streaming it to your laptop, tablet, computer, whatever, it is just as good as playing the game natively on hardware. You know, once we hit that point where people are playing that way and feeling that way and thinking that way, that's when the console has outlived its utility and we can get rid of the box. But as long as there's always this large contingency of people who are like, no, 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 we got to have the hardware, you know? That's how that's how long we'll have Xbox for. So it makes perfect sense. I think that's really the only answer you could give. But to circle back more on the, the story at large here with... Um, you know, talking about why they per- why they're purchasing Activision, I find I find this interesting. I can't help but feel like a lot of the way they bought Xbox or my Activision. Hang on a second. I can't help but feel like a lot of why they bought Activision originally was because Activision were down on their luck. The opportunity was there, and they felt like, hey, we're you know, I, again, this is me being the realist, trying to fight against the corporation's PR. Let's circle back to last fall. You know, Activision's at an all-time low. Vanguard is the most underperformed Call of Duty in a while. On top of that, this massive story is just blowing up more and more and more. This story that's been going on for months. Remember, that story started around this time last year and only got bigger and bigger and bigger as we moved into the fall. And so all the sexual harassment and the inequality and everything in the workplace, everything is blowing up like crazy, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And Activision stock is tanking or is, you know, starting to take a hit and PR is really shit. And if you're Microsoft, you're over on this end of the spectrum where you have so much cash on hand, so much fucking cash. And you know how the corporations and the politicians are. They know all the things that are coming before the people do. They know all the economic trends and where we're headed and what's good and what's bad, when to buy, when to sell. They know all that stuff long before we, the people know. And I just can't help but think that what really happened was 
Microsoft had a shit ton of money on hand. They're aggressively investing in the Xbox brand with Game Pass and streaming and all this stuff. And Phil was given the opportunity to go out and spend big and do something bold. And he came to them and was like, I don't know if it was Phil or who, but somewhere in Microsoft, the conversation happened where it was like, listen, Activision's down on their luck. We have money that we need to get rid of because what the market trend is showing that, that the economy is about to tank. Inflation's getting worse and worse. It's already happening in 2021, right? Inflation's getting absolute shit. You don't want to sit on money when you have money during an inflationary period. You want assets, not equity, or you, you know, you want, you want assets, not cash. And so my guess is Xbox took all those circumstances and that perfect opportunity, went over to Activision and said, let's fucking talk money. And that's why we have Activision. Ever since that happened, that storm of Xbox has money or Microsoft has money they need to spend, Activision is down on their luck and nothing is going their way. And that creates an, a beautiful opportunity to get a good deal on a massive company. Ever since that happened, I think what what Microsoft's been trying to do is find a way to justify the purchase of Activision and fit that into the narrative of why they're now part of the Xbox family for some arbitrary reason. If you ask me, that is their only, the only, only, only reason why Activision is now going to be part of Microsoft. Now, acquiring King which is one of the biggest mobile uh, publishers of all time, which is part of Activision. Activision is Activision, Blizzard, and King, ABK. Sure, that is a huge get. I think that could be very, very, very valuable for Xbox. They are trying hard to get into the mobile market. They're trying to expand Game Pass into mobile very much. Um, so yeah, they can use a lot of the expertise from King to help strong arm their way into that market. But good luck with that, because at the end of the day, King, even though they make shit tons of money, it's off of god-awful, non-existent, real, like, bullshit video games like Candy Crush, and not off of actual video games that are any remotely bit, remote bit substantive, okay? So there's that. There's also the fact that the mobile market is complete bullshit. It's all arbitrary. Games come out all day, every day. Some stuff, some stuff succeeds. The overwhelming majority of everything just tanks and bombs and dies. I don't know that King's success is that they constantly put out great games and everyone's enthralled with their output, or it's just that they have the lucky fucking IP that happened to blow up with Candy Crush, and that's really all there is to it. And so, this isn't like. Sony buying Bungie where I'm like, oh, there's a lot you can learn from owning Bungie, right? Because we all know the story. Sony bought Bungie because they want to learn about how to operate these live games, these games as a service type games. Bungie has all this expertise that Sony wants right now because they're trying to get into that part of the market. So it's a perfect, perfect marriage, right? But I don't see a similar story like that happening with Microsoft now owning Activision because they get king. It's like, no, no, no. King's big because they have the fucking match three puzzle game that people play when they're supposed to be paying attention to the road. Like, that's that's all there is to it. Don't, don't make it more than it has to be. The real get, the real tangible definitive get with Activision's acquisition is simply this. Call of Duty. I know Blizzard's huge. I know Diablo's a great get. I know Warcraft's a great get. I know Overwatch is a great get. I don't care. The reason to acquire Activision is for Call of Duty, for Warzone, for that cachet, to that library of IP. But really, it's Call of Duty. So, 
I don't know. I don't buy this answer. And, you know, I'm obviously far more of a layman when it comes to mobile gaming because it's just not something I give a shit about or pay attention to. But you cannot convince me for a second that Microsoft sees genuinely valuable shit to get out of (laughs) having King. I just don't, you know, obviously I have lots of data and user uh I, like understanding of like the mobile market and strategies and what sells and what doesn't, I guess. Right. I mean, for sure they do, but remember Xbox's market for mobile is game pass. It's people subscribe to a service and then play games off an app on their phone. That the, the idea is not to release individual games into the, you know, Apple, Apple app store, or Google play store, you know? So I don't know. I kind of smell, I, I kind of call bullshit a little bit on what Phil Spencer's saying here. But like I said, I, I, the, to me, this is Microsoft trying to justify a purchase that that they could do rather than they had a true vision. But let's uh, wrap up the, the news this week with um, one more story from Phil Spencer, some comments he made. Um, and then we'll, you know, we've got some wrap ups, some Game Pass games coming out and things like that. But that this will be the last news story, news story for the week. In that same Bloomberg ar- uh, uh, article interview, Xbox CEO of gaming, Phil Spencer, said that he's cautious about pay-to-earn gaming uh, where players can earn cryptocurrency and NFTs through play. In the interview, Spencer says that when asked on his thoughts about crypto, with the interview, Emily Chang noting that, or the interviewer, Emily Chang, noting that pay-to-earn is all the rage right now, he says, play-to-earn is specifically is something I'm curious about, Phil Spencer responded. It creates a workforce out of players for certain players to kind of monetize. Hmm, kind of feels like Halo Infinite a little bit, you know? How it constantly tries to get you to play the game in a way you don't want to play, but makes it feel like a job. No. Anyway, he added, now to be fair for us in games industry, this has existed for many years. There have been uh, gold farms where people literally just spend their time doing menial tasks in game to uh, to accrue accrue some currency and they could sell it to some rich player and for real money so that person doesn't have to spend their uh spend the time themselves isn't it funny we were just talking about this at the top of the show with the trading card games on mobile and everything but now you find games that are starting to build into the economy of the game itself spencer also referred to mo yang's statement last month where they said they would not allow nfts to be in minecraft xbox studio said that it finds NFTs exploitative in their current use, but that the underlying technology could eventually serve to be a better purpose. Huh? Doesn't that sound like what I was talking about earlier with everything and with build a robot boy studio and all that uh, quote, we made some comments in Minecraft about how we view NFTs in this space because we saw people doing things that we thought were exploitative in our products. And we didn't want that Spencer explained. I think sometimes it's harmful or I think sometimes it's a hammer looking for a nail uh, when these technologies come up, but that's actually human use or players' use in our case of these technologies. I think that there could be some interesting things. Spencer made headlines last year when he revealed that he was concerned over NFTs as he found the technology exploitative in its current state. Speaking to Axios last November, he said, why, why I'd say today on NFT is all all up is I think that there's a lot of speculation experimentation that's happening and that some of the creative that I see today feels more exploitative than about entertainment itself. He added, and this is the final part, I don't think it is necessarily that this necessitates that every NFT is a game exploitative. I just think that we're kind of in a journey of people figuring it out. I think that what we're looking at in our store, our storefront um, that we said is exploitative and that's something that we would learn to take action on. We don't want that kind of content so 
I don't have much to say on this because I feel like we already had the conversation on this very podcast when we were talking about everywhere where, um, yeah, it's just that. It's that what we've seen out of NFTs, what we've seen out of this shit has not been good. It's been gross. It's been scammy. It's been exploitative. But that doesn't mean the technology is inherently just complete useless bullshit. It's just in early days, and a lot of us aren't smart enough or visionary enough to see what the potential is. So who knows? Maybe it just stays complete exploitative bullshit for the rest of forever. Maybe one day they completely change the world for the better with this technology. We just don't know. But in its current state, with the current way that publishers and developers are implementing this stuff, it's not something Xbox really wants to be a part of. Clearly, Mo Yang, and Xbox-owned team, has taken a stance on it already. And clearly, Phil Spencer is saying, hey, I'm not trying to say... It's always forever condemned to be a piece of shit. But right now, eh, I don't really see the value in it in its current state. And so, I swear I didn't read this before. I just, I just, with, with these kinds of things, I see the story headline and then I copy and paste the story into the notes. I'm like, I'll read it and respond to it on the show for more of an organic reaction. But Phil Spencer basically makes the exact same argument I made at the top of the show. So, honestly, we should have just gone over the story uh, back then. But there you go. So, I don't know. Do I hate NFTs in the, in the way we've seen them? Yes. Am I going to write off every, anyone who's ever NFT'd? Uh, no, not necessarily like that. Or n- anyone who will ever work with blockchain technology, I should say. Anyone who's ever, ever NFT'd right now basically seems like a, a dirtbag, but it might not always be that way. Might, might, might. All right, let's wrap up with some uh, Games with Gold and some Game Pass updates. So uh, it's September, new month, so new Games with Gold have been announced for the month. And this, you know, Games with Gold is almost never good. And this is not a great lineup, but this is one of the better ones we've had in a while. So Gods Will Fall will be available for the entire month of September. Double Kick Heroes will be available from September 16th to October 15th. I think that was once in Game Pass. I played that. It's a pretty fun rhythm game. Thrillville, the original Thrillville for the OG Xbox, will be available for the first half of September through the 15th. And finally, the beloved 2010 Xbox 360 game, Portal 2, will be available for the latter half of September, the 16th to the 30th. Uh, it's a $20 value, so $15, a $22, and $10, and a $20 value. You get yourself $55, $65, $67 worth of content right there. Good for you. Uh, yeah, not bad. Thrillville's good. Portal 2's good. Double Kick Hero's good. I can speak to all those games. God Will Fall? I can't speak to that one, but maybe it's been... I don't know. Maybe it's not bad. And um, then we got some... So, publisher, um, publisher Humble Games have announced with Xbox that they have a handful of games coming day one to Xbox or, you know, coming to console for the first time. They'll be in Game Pass day one or coming to the, out in general and they'll be launching in the Game Pass. So they got a bunch of games to announce. Some are already here. Um, but, yeah, let's let's go down the list. So we got Midnight Fight Express. Uh, plays a former member of the criminal underworld world lured into the life by a mysterious drone in Jacob Dwinzel's hyperkinetic 80s action movie brawler Midnight Fight Express, now available on Game Pass, PC, Cloud, and Console. Moon Scars, also on PC, Cloud, and Console. Push the limits of your combat skills in this fierce warrior gray Irma in unforgiving nonlinear 2D world of Moon Scars, which will come out September 27th. And next, Coral Island on PC. This looks kind of like a, I don't know, it looks kind of like a Animal Crossing chill island game coming out October 11th. Uh, Ghost Song is next, coming to Cloud Console and PC on November 3rd. Awaken from a slumber as a long dormant dead suit and, sh- and strike out beneath the surface of a Lorian in Ghost Song, whatever the fuck that means. It's an atmospheric 2D adventure. Uh, Infinite Guitars comes to Cloud Console and PC later this year. 
developed by Nico Nico. Uh, fight next with Metal Crushing Rock Infinite Guitars. The genre-melting rhythm RPG features vibrant anime-inspired art. Interesting. Proteus, this game looks awesome. I've already seen this. Um, apparently, this game's been out on PC for a while, but it's coming to Xbox later this year and in the Game Pass on cloud, console, and PC. Uh, this game is Resur- Proteus. It says, Resurrect the Chaos of a first-person shooter with an old reimagined using modern technology is a very cool art style. Twist on the old Doom art style and looks very good. Finally, we got Signalis PC, console, and cloud coming soon. No release date. Uh, but is a classic survival horror game experience the dystopian future where humanity's uncovered a dark secret. Looks kind of like old Silent Hill games, so nice little nod to retro or classic horror games. Guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Let's quickly wrap up with the stories of important enough news, stories important enough to make the podcast not important enough to warrant their own discussions. we got a handful. We'll just run through them real quick. I feel like I say that every week, and I probably do, but now yeah, we got about five of them. Let's let's make it happen. First of all, VGC reports of Hangar 13 have confirmed they're working on that new Mafia game that we reported about earlier this year. We didn't report about it. We relayed uh, once Kotaku did the reporting earlier this year that they were making a prequel to, to, uh, to the Mafia games, the first three that we got. So there's that. Next up, VGC says UK studio Strikers with a Z. Strikers Inc. has delayed the release of the upcoming FIFA eFootball Challenger UFL, previously scheduled for this year on Series X and Xbox One. Game is now coming in 2023. Next up, VGC says Night Dive Studios, the owner of System Shock IP, have clarified the status of a long-missing in-action System Shock 3. They said the reason System Shock 3 never came out is because it's now up to... Tencent, if the sequel ever gets made. Yes, that's right. They tried to make the game in their studio in Austin, Texas over the past few years, uh, but Other Side Entertainment, the name of their studio, uh, was helmed by original SS developer Paul Neurath uh, and Warren Spector, famed Warren Spector, famed game developer behind Deus Ex and Mickey, what is that game, Epic Mickey, uh, before disappearing from the public arena completely in 2020. Eventually, a statement was published on Other Side's website claiming that the Tencent would be taking the System Shock franchise forward. However, there's never been clarification in the two years exactly what that means, uh, despite LinkedIn profiles suggesting that virtually all of System Shock's development team had long since left the project. Well, it seems like now, in, a, in an interview with Gamescom, CEO of Night Dive, Stephen Kick, claimed that the rights to the third game, which originally were with Other Side, are now with the Chinese conglomerate Tencent, and so there's nothing they can really do about that, so yay! Next up, VGC reports that Creative Assembly, a Sega team, Sega owned team that makes those RTS games. That, hey, they made Halo Wars, Halo Wars Two. Um, said in a statement that that they are actually working on a new project in addition to their recently released uh, or announced Hyenas uh, multiplayer game. They are also working on a yet to be announced project. The title is in early development, and they are looking for a, uh, they're waiting for further details at a different date. Next, VGC reports Netflix has revealed the director and writer of the upcoming Bioshock film adaptation. Uh, in a tweet on the Netflix account, they announced that Francis Lawrence, director of I Am Legend and The Hunger Games Catching Fire, will be helming the film. But if we're lucky, the game will ne- the movie will never actually come out, and we can be spared of that. Finally, VGC reports the producer behind SNK's biggest fighting franchise has claimed that there is interest on all sides in reviving the cult classic SNK vs. Capcom series, which I'm entirely unfamiliar with. The classic crossover fighting series, which sees characters from the King of Fighter Duke with the Street Fighter combatants, Hasn't seen a proper installment since 2003, partly due to SNK's bankruptcy in the early 2000s and the pivot to pachinko slot machines. Capcom released two arcade games, console fighting games featuring its one-time genre rival in 2000 and 2001, while SNK released portable games, card games, and spinoffs in the other arcade fighter during the same era. That is it for all of our news, guys. We are completely done. Thank you for sticking with me. Now, let's uh, 
take a deep breath and reward ourselves with a couple of comments before we wrap it up for the uh, for the week. We got one, two, three, four, five, six. That's it. Six comments for the week, guys. You know how it works. You want to leave a comment? You head on over to YouTube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode and, hey, maybe even subscribe while you're there. We're on the road to 1,000. We're pretty close. Please help me get there. And uh, you leave a comment on the latest episode. You can say anything you want. You can say, Jesse, you're talking too fast. No one can follow what you're saying. Please slow down. I'm like, okay, thanks. Or you can say, Jesse, roses are red, violets are blue. If this were an Xbox podcast, I'd choose you. And I'd be like, wow, that's very sweet. And uh, that's not anything anyone's ever commented before, but let's read the comments we did get. Let's talk about a combination of Gamescom reactions and continue our conversations about hobbies from the past couple of weeks. Kronky writes in and says, Gamescom was pretty great. The stars for me were Killer Clowns from Outer Space, Dead Island 2, but I'm really excited for the number of them, including a miniature tactics game that we saw. That's only on PC. Don't talk about that. It's not Xbox. Fuck. Dune Awakening, why do you have to be a survival MMO by the Conan Exile guys? Why can't you say anything else? Why can't you be any game by any other game by anyone else? Because it looks so cool, and I am sad. Well, ha ha ha. This is what you get for being excited for Dead Island 2. Fuck you, Kronky. Ha ha ha. No, I mean, I, I agree. Gamescom, you know, the further we get away from it, the more I'm like, that was just surprisingly a pretty great show. I'm, I'm just really pleased with Gamescom. Those are the games I was looking forward to because I have great taste. But, uh, no, I'm glad you're looking forward to that, you little loser. Atlas Fallen, mm. that game looks so good. Liza P, mm. Sonic Frontiers, mm. Rebecca don't follows up on her comment from last week where we found out she can build cars. Uh, little 12-year-olds can build Skyrise apartments in, in Fortnite, and I can build basically nothing. I can I can stack a bunch of slices of cheese and bread and call it a triple stack grilled cheese. So how do you like that? Anyway, Rebecca says, just replying from my comment from last week, I am building a real car. Haha, ha, I accidentally made a typo. It's a 1931A model coupe, not 32. This is talking, following our conversation about the various hobbies we all enjoy and share together outside of Xbox, of course. My father has a 1931A model tutor. It is designed as an old school mafia car. These cars are a little hard to find and finish, so you know anything about building cars. Bodies are around. They just have a little rust and they need a bit of work. Also, super keen for Dead Island 2. I pre-ordered it back in 2014. God almighty, uh, and has been on orders since then. I did recently cancel so I could pre-order the Hella edition, and I swear if they delay it, I'll lose all hope in humanity. While I just continue to be, thank you, Rebecca, I just continue to be astonished by the fact that anyone knows how to do anything with a fucking car. For as much as I love cars, like, God, I can't work on them. My car, uh, my my uh, driver door handle, my driver door handle has been jamming up on me recently, and um, the other day I was, I was going to my car and it was hot outside, and uh, it, it just broke. I, I go, I unlock my car, I go to open the car handle, and the handle just fucking broke off. It's done. And I only have a two-seater car, so the trick is I have to open the passenger side door and then crawl in through the car to open the driver door and then get in that way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, I love cars. I'm so enthusiastic about cars. I don't know shit about cars, dude. I had to take that thing, I had to take that thing to the shop immediately and be like, you fix it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thankfully is a common issue with my car and I was able to just look up some forums and like oh yeah buy this part this happens to everyone with this car eventually so just buy this part and then take it to a shop and have them install it you gotta take like the entire fucking door apart to replace the handle it's insane but uh, Rebecca you're over here restoring 1930s cars why I'm freaking out over a, pl a, a plastic handle on my car door this is, this is the difference between human beings but I am sorry to hear about your long wait for Dead Island 2. Man, I, I tell you what, the Dead Island 2 you're going to get next year is not the Dead Island that they announced in 2014. But uh, for people like you and Kronky, you seem to be excited for it. I, I'm really hoping the game turns out. It looks, you know, I'll be honest. I, I had no expectations for this game whatsoever during the past 20,000 years we've been waiting for it. And um, from what we saw at Gamescom, I'd say the game looks pretty competent. Like, it doesn't, 
As someone who really didn't like the first Dead Island, I think Dead Island 2 looks better for sure. So I'm, I'm holding out hope for all these people <laughs> like you guys who've had to wait patiently for this game for so goddamn long. Like, goddamn. I, I've been losing my patience because it's been five years since the last serious Sonic 3D game. But, man, you guys have been waiting like 2.6 million light years for this. So good for you. Count Scottula. You know him, you love him. And if you don't know him and you don't love him, Get the fuck out of my podcast. Right Sitting says, excellent opening night live recap. I totally missed it, and there were several good announcements in there. Well, thank you. Also, I like to consider myself a carpenter, or I wouldn't like to consider myself a carpenter by any stretch, but I like to build stuff out of wood from time to time. That's, of course, in response to my random little aside last week where I was like, come on, someone who's got, you guys got cool, cool hobbies out there. Some of you guys probably carpenters and pilots or whatever the hell I said. And uh, look at that. Count Skylux, something of a hobbyist woodworker himself we got everything here on the xbox on podcast again i can um i can make i don't know i can make arm hair grow way longer than i would like for it to do i can um follow wolfgang puck's recipes online and try to make his food i don't know you guys are out here building cars and building houses and shit like that god damn dude if the apocalypse ever comes i know who can save me anyway uh (laughs) Thank you for hanging out, Skyla. Uh, always a pleasure to hear from you. Uh, Kronky writes in again in regards to the news of Embracer acquiring the Middle Earth IP. He says, I completely agree with you on Lord of the Rings. It's not an IP like Star Wars or Game of Thrones that you just go and make shows and games out of. It's a whole different playing field. I freaking hate this. That being said, Embracer owns Asmodee, Asmodee um, as, they pu- uh, as they publish a billion Lord of the Rings board games. So at least there's some licensing. They'll save on licensing fees. Yeah, it seems like there's some kind of synergy with <laughs> with this shit. Maybe that's why they did it. But yeah, I, I agree. It's just a... Uh, it's really like disgusting, kind of slap in the face of art kind of acquisition to just be like, yeah, we're we're gonna exploit Lord of the Rings now for video games, I guess. Whatever. Wade Lau writes in, one of the OGs, one of the favorites, one of the most beloved. And he says, Jesse, hello. I hope you are doing well. It's been some time since I started listening to the podcast. I remember for the first time I did, I was like, wow, I think this dude forgot to take his uh, Tourette's medication before he started recording. Over a year later, and every time I listen, I'm like, yeah, I think he forgot to take his Tourette's medication. Anyways, take care, and don't get too overly excited by the anticipation of the new Warhammer game. Uh, I am excited for the Dark, for dark Tide. Uh, that game looks pretty good. Uh, Headhunting Halo rounds us out with our final comment. I always put him last because he's always got some thought-provoking uh, nonsense to leave us with and give us a little belly laugh over. And he says, replying on last week's comment about Dragon Ball, there is a different series of Dragon Ball. You got the OG, you got Z, you get Super. So all this is probably close to a thousand episodes. I just wanted to start on Z rather than the original Dragon Ball watching it with my son. So I heard the original Dragon Ball was kind of perverted, but he doesn't know about that yet. LOL. Never disappoints Halo, uh, headhunting Halo. As far as Borderlands goes, I've never been a fan, and I'm trying to play them, but they haven't grabbed me by the balls. And what the hell are you talking about last week with Golden Crow? It's amazing, you 17th century tea-drinking Englishman. I'm excited for Callisto Protocol as well, as I'm definitely going to get that game. Far Cry 6 is completed. Taco Bell has a grilled cheese burrito in Missouri, and I know you love my scattered comments, so you're welcome. Well, headhunting Halo, I think you, you put it beautifully, actually. Um, well, I hope you and your joy, you and your joy, I hope you and your son continue to enjoy Dragon Ball Z. I hope he doesn't get to watch the pervy episodes because we wouldn't want to uh, uh, pollute your young son's mind. Not not yet, at least. Give him a few more years, right? At least wait till he's three. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, man. If you like Golden Corral, more power to you. I don't mean to take that away from you. I'm just telling you based on my experience, 
listen, man, I don't mean to brag or nothing. I know I'm coming from my fucking privileged Orlando, Florida living experience, but I live 10 minutes away from the Walt Disney World Resort. The Walt Disney World Resort, they, they love to cater. They love the buffets. There's so many buffets across all Disney property. In the parks, in some of the resorts, there's so many buffets at Disney because, obviously, when you're a large portion of your market is families, buffets are really helpful, especially for young kids. You can try a lot of foods. It helps with picky eaters, whatever. Disney has perfected the art of the buffet so much to the point where it's like you wouldn't even think of a buffet as like something with like cheap, shitty, crappy food when you go to some of these Disney buffets. They, they can be so good. You go over to the Disney's Animal Kingdom Resort, the hotel, the resort hotel. You go to the restaurant, the restaurant Jico. Oh, my fucking God, dude. South African buffet. And they got like for breakfast, they got like just a fucking everything like a little a little bit from all over the world with their breakfast offerings the fucking oh my god that the bread pudding thing they got going on it's so good baby you get the fucking deviled eggs with the smoked salmon on it and it's just like you get you get so used to to having access to good buffets here you know it's florida in general we got a lot of buffets we got a lot of old people to feed and old people really like buffets so between disney just spoiling me with really good buffets and florida in general just having lots of buffets i'm not, I'm not a golden crown man because I, uh, I, I I have a higher standard, man. You know, I have Disney has has brought me into the upper echelon of buffet dwellers, of buffet consumers, and I just gotta say that Golden Crown needs to hashtag get on my level, bitch. Glad you played Far Cry Six, and I'm mad at you for reminding me that Taco Bell brought back the grilled cheese burrito because I looked it up, and you're right, it's back. Not just in Missouri, it's everywhere. We have it here now. I have been doing such a good job of not eating Taco Bell for so long, but yep. Now I have to go back to Taco Bell because the grilled cheese burrito is so fucking good. But uh, thank you for commenting in, Head Hunting Halo. Thank you, everyone, for writing in. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Guys, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Xbox On. Two and a half hours in. I really thought this was going to be a two-hour podcast. But uh, I guess we had a lot of nothing to say. So hopefully it was a good one. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I uh, look forward to hearing from those of you who are going to comment in. Who are from those of you who choose to comment in, of course. I don't mean to insinuate uh, a sense of entitlement to comments. I'm not. I'm not entitled to that. Uh, I had to work hard to earn your your uh, listenership and, and, and your engagement. So I appreciate each and every one of you who's ever given the show a try. Uh, please, if you like the show, give it a thumbs up. Give it a five-star rating, especially if you're an iTunes user. Please subscribe on YouTube. If you want to hang out with us on Monday nights, we're live on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Lightning Mixstream. Never going to come up with that second name, am I? But yeah, guys, always appreciate your time. Have a great week. Take care. Um, if you're in the States, it's Labor Day on Monday, so enjoy a three-day weekend. Enjoy an extended holiday. Hopefully, you get some time off. Hopefully, you get to relax. Spend time with those you love and care about. Play some video games. Make sure you eat some good food. And until next time, power your dreams. 